This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to a special extended podcast version of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Our standard radio program goes for 90 minutes, but we had so much content this week, we've released it all on our podcast as a two and a half hour version. So we have no issues if you take several days to listen to this podcast because there's a lot of good content in there. We are catching up with all eight women's teams that are participating in the AFL Europe Nine-A-Side Euro Cup being played in in Naratali, Sweden, this weekend. That includes teams from England, Wales, France, Ireland, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland and Croatia. Plus, we'll be doing a quick check of scores from the AFL London Women's League, AFL Ontario in Canada, and the 8035 tournament, which was played in Des Moines in the United States, and our usual state league reports, finding out what's happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, in the Queensland Winter Series, as well as the VFL Women's Competition, plus a quick score check from the state leagues in WA, Tasmania, and the ACT. So let's get to it and catch up with the eight women's teams that are participating in the Euro Cup this weekend and we'll kick off with the reigning champions, the Irish Banshees. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, we've got on the line the reigning championship captain for the Irish Banshees as she defends their title at the Euro Cup in Sweden this weekend. It's great to have on the line Mala Mori. Mala, how are you? Hi Peter, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. How does it feel to be going in as reigning champions to this Euro Cup tournament? Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it now. Um, I think we're most players are heading over on Friday. So, yeah, we're just we're, we're really looking forward to getting there and getting getting cracking on the games on Saturday. As we've asked a number of sides, and we'll ask yourself, of course, how does it feel turning around for the tournament in a shorter period, which has been essentially nine months? Normally, this tournament is played in October every year, like it was last year in Cork. This time around, it's a late June tournament in Sweden. Yeah, I know it's it's come upon, upon us very quickly, but um, we've started out. Um, we've been playing our um, Super Seventh League. It's uh, sponsored by Australian Tax. Um, we've been playing, we're sort of halfway through it now, so a lot of the girls have had some competition time, so, you know, it's it's actually a good time for us, I think, um, uh, because we've, the next round of our uh, Super Sevens in July, so, you know, the girls are ready, they're fit, um, they're, they're, they're just dying to get stuck in, um, and can't wait for the competition on Saturday. Now, I believe it's a fairly young side. You've turned over the list quite a bit and actually picked up a couple of players out of your university squad that took on the British universities uh, back a couple of months ago. Yeah, that's correct. Um, We have nine new girls playing at the weekend. So... Um, a lot of the, a lot of them are very new to the game. As you said, in the university, we had the Universities Cup in April, and there's three girls coming from that. Um, I was up at the game myself. Uh, there's some great talent, some young talent there, some great girls coming through. I've seen a lot of them playing um, in our uh, Super Sevens League, and they're, it's quite impressive the, the young girls coming through. And we've had some new girls join. Uh, and new club story naturally um there's been a lot of lot of interest the game is growing significantly here in Ireland and uh, new clubs new girls joining all the time 
Um, so it's great for the game. It's great to, to see the, the, the game growing here. Let's talk about that Super 7s. Of course, we've been covering it in the last uh, few weeks with uh, Mike Curran coming on board and, and talking about how that tournament's been going. But out of that Super 7 setup and the new sides that have joined, how many new players have you been able to take out of that competition to join the Banshees for this uh, 2019 campaign? Um, we've picked up um, maybe three or four new players from that. Um, just two girls coming from um, West Dublin Garrisons. Um, then there's also um, Ali Coleman, who's with the South Dublin Swans, also involved in the universities. Um, so, there, yeah, there's two, three or four girls coming from the Super Sevens also. Um and so it's great. I mean, it's it's super to see the interest growing and, and to get so many new players. And you've got an interesting mix of players in there as well. You've got um, some veterans such as Marie Keating and you've got players that have been through the Crosscoders program, for example, Marie Coyne. That's right, yeah. Yeah, Marie has been been playing um, of the rules for a good while. Um, yeah, she's... She's just fantastic there in the middle of the field to, to kind of control the game and uh, just help the young girls. She's got huge experience, so it's, it's great to have her around the young girls and new girls um, just from uh, talking. And she's very good at giving little tips to everybody um, and some feedback. She'll always give you some feedback after your game. Um, Marie Coyne, of course, yeah, she, she did the cross-coders last year. Another fantastic midfielder um, and a great goal scorer as well. So let's talk about the preparations coming in for this tournament. Uh, as you said, obviously, that the players have played as part of their clubs and the Super 7s and, of course, uh, the Irish universities. But how often have you been able to get together as an Irish Banshee squad and train and prepare for this weekend? Um, we haven't had many um, sessions together, unfortunately. But um, as I said, playing the Australian Tax Super 7s League has been highly competitive um, so, you know, we get to know all the girls, you get to know how other players, how, how the other girls are playing with us, how they play against you on the other team, so you know how you can play with them. Um, so, we've that, that has been part of our preparation. A lot of the girls, uh, most of the girls would play GAA, so they have a, you know, they, they would be doing their own fitness with their clubs and that. So, um, you know, we'll get together on Friday night with Mike and um, we'll have a chat about our game strategy and that and how the, we hope the game will, the, the day will go for us on Saturday. Let's talk about how the day will go and uh, your opponents in Paul A and, and what you think of them. Mm. I'll, I'll start from the bottom first. Uh, the Welsh Wyverns, uh, we're probably expecting a number of players to typically have a rugby background. Uh, what are you expecting from the Welsh team? Um, yeah, I, I I don't know a huge amount about the, the Welsh guys, but I know that they've been doing a bit of preparation and I know um, the interest in the game over in Wales has um, increased and that they've doubled their playing pool this year. So um, I think it's hard to know what to expect, but uh, I'm sure um, will be... You know, it will be a tough game against them anyway. Um, they have, as I said, they've been, they've got together and they've had some training sessions and they've had some team bonding. Um, so I, I would expect a, a tough enough game from them. A team probably not to take too lightly in your pool is the Croatian Queens. They actually finished uh, fourth uh, in in Cork and uh, a few years before that finished third in Portugal. That's right. Yeah, um, we played them last year, um, but. 
you know, things a lot can change in nine months. Um, and I know, as, again, as another team, they've they've been together for a while. Um, they've had a few trainings, training camps and that. Um, they seem to be well prepared. And, they, you know, I know they'll put up a good fight against us. Again, you know, they did. They were tough enough last year when we met them. Um, but as I said, a lot can change. I know that they have um, five new girls uh, making their debuts. So, um, there could be some surprises we don't know but again we we, um, we just play each team as they come and of course the other team in your pool is the German Eagles you may have had a, a bit of a sneaky peek at them uh, back in Amsterdam yeah. with the Champions League of course a number of their players right. have been playing for the Hamburg Dockers obviously up against the West Clare Waves right. what did you think of the Germans? yeah yeah they were tough tough competition now they were a physical team Um you know, um, you, you know, uh, like all teams, you can't underestimate any of them. Um, and uh, yes, they have a big representation from Hamburg Dockers. Um, again, I know that they have a lot of new debutants this year as well. So it's it's hard to know, you know, um, who who they're going to bring with them and what what to expect on the day. But I think, um, judging by um, the game in Amsterdam against Hamburg Dockers. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be an easy game. We we have to you know, just keep our own game going, keep keep focused and um just uh, we never underestimate any of the teams. It may be a possibility that once again you and England meet in the final. Uh, four of the last five finals mm. in the women's division have between Ireland and England. You have a three-to-one advantage over the Vixens. Um, it's mm-hmm. safe to say it's going to be hard to predict this final. As you said, you've got a bunch of newcomers. And in the English squad, I hear uh-huh. they've got as many as seven newcomers. Yeah, that's right. I've read that as well. Um, yeah, England are always um, a tough competition. Um, last year's final started out fairly equal up to the half time, and second half we came out the better. Um, but always, you can never ever underestimate the English. We have to be a top of our game. Um, hopefully, we'll come out top of our pool first of all and make it through the semis. And fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, if we do meet England, I know it won't be an easy game. Now, of course, uh, this tournament has been moved forward from October to June to make way for what's coming up in around uh, October in London, which, of course, Mm -hmm. is the AFL European Championships that is played every three years, the 18-a-side competition. So how much does this 9-a-side tournament play overall for the Irish Banshees as you prepare for the championships a few months down the track? Yeah, it's really important. Uh, you know, with the nine new girls coming in, it, it, this competition is really important just to give them the experience um, and and just improve their skills. Um, you know, get them used to the type of competition it is. You know, you'll be playing. Well, I know it's eighteen aside, but it's a week long competition. But it's just to get them, you know, mentally and and you know, ready for the for the competition in October. Um, and it's, it's it's good opportunity just to, to get a look at the girls and see how they, they play together. Looking at the history of the men's uh, competition since 2005, three teams have gone back-to-back champions, being England, Ireland and Denmark. It's never happened in the women's division. It's always been bouncing back and forward between the English and the Irish. What would it mean to you personally as captain if you were able to take Ireland for the first time ever in the women's division to back-to-back titles? Oh, it would be amazing. Yeah, it would be absolutely fantastic. Um, 
you know, if, if we keep playing and keep keep developing the game here in Ireland, and um, we love like we also have our premiership starting. I think it's due to start late August, early September. Um, that will add that will help us immensely with um, the, the competition coming up in October. The massive preparation for October, um, but with the pool of players that we have at the moment, and um, like this year there was massive competition um, for for places on the banshees. Um, so you know it's it's a tough job for Mike Curran, um our coach, but for um, uh, for the game in Ireland, it's fantastic. It's fantastic to have a strong banshees uh, team. And I'll actually just spin off on that for just a moment. Of course, um, the Crosscutters camp was held uh, just recently in Ireland. Of course, we've now seen that uh, into double figures now, Irish women uh, having contracts to play yeah. in the AFL women's competition. What has that done from your point of view for, for Irish women's football? How much has that increased the pressure and increased the quality of the competition that you're up against locally? Yeah, it's hugely actually. Yeah, the, it's, I mean it's fantastic to see some the Gaelic girls because I mean the, the the skills are so transferable. Like it's very easy to to, to come across to AFL from the Gaelic football. Um, just obviously just learning a few rules, but um, yeah, it's it's made the competition really really tough. Like um, I remember starting out. Not that it was easy in the first place, but it's a tough enough game to play. But um, there was a smaller pool of, pool of players, but now you've got a lot of talent coming through. The games have got very, very competitive. Um, so there's, there's no easy game. Um, all the clubs have got their strengths, um, which is fantastic. It's fantastic for the game. Well, Mala, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. And we wish you all the very best as you defend your title for the Euro Cup this weekend in Sweden. Super. Thanks a million, Peter. Nice to talk to you. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival from the Swiss Heidis will be making their inaugural appearance in the Euro Cup. It's great to have on the line Yuriki Senti. Yuriki, how are you? I'm very good. I'm super excited about the weekend. We're going to play in Sweden for the Swiss Heidis. Which is amazing. <laughs> yes, the first ever time a Switzerland women's team will take part in the Euro Cup. But let's pause for a moment. Let's rewind back because people are thinking, hang on a second, a, a team from Switzerland playing in the Euro Cup. How about your story, first of all? I believe you actually discovered the game when you came down to Australia. Yes, exactly. I was there in 2017 um, doing the exchange um, within my studies. Um, my housemates told me about footy and I just got into it very quickly. It was such an amazing game and I kept on following it. And when I came back to Switzerland, I thought, uh, poor thing, I can't play it anymore. And somehow I got involved with um, other Aussies and footy interested people here in Switzerland. And then we started building up a league this year. And we even managed to get a women's team for the national um, team together, which is uh, amazing. So we can play footy in Switzerland as well as internationally around Europe. That is fantastic to hear. Now, if I'm correct, prior to this year, there was some women playing football in Switzerland, but you actually had to play as mixed teams with the men. So that's still going on. So what we built this year was um, a AFL Switzerland league. Uh, we play with the boys, so we're mixed competition. Um, which 
I would say makes us stronger because <laughs> obviously there are certain um, disadvantages when playing against men. But on the other hand, um, we can improve so much from each other. And yeah, so this thing is still going on. The Our league ends in the middle of September. So um, what we're doing here in Switzerland is we will play within Switzerland, so mainly um, Winterthur, Basel and Geneva, our Swiss league. And we organize different international competitions so women can get to play against women as well. Um, how many women at the moment are registered to play uh, Australian football in Switzerland? Uh, well, depending on which people you're counting in. So if you count in Aussies as well, I would say it's probably around 20 And that's yeah, a, 20 um, people. And that's definitely a good, respectable number. Now, you talk about um, the national team. I believe, actually, you teamed up with the Germans going back to March to take part in the Galilea Cup in France. Yeah. And if I'm correct, you actually took out the title. Yeah, that was really, like, awesome. We, four Swiss girls, half of them were also Aussies. But still, we um, went to Paris and had um, a tournament there this was the first Gallia club they called it and we played um, with the Germans and we won yes it was such a good day and very nice experience for everyone being involved and especially the win um, was the icing um, the eye the icing on the cake, of course. <laughs> uh, besides uh, that, that tournament back in March, have you had much opportunity to play together as a, a Swiss squad? Um, yes. Part of, we were two weeks ago, I think there was, uh, we were in Graz at the CASL tournament. There we teamed up with a Croatia, or two Croatian teams. So it wasn't quite playing as a squad itself, especially it's tough to travel that much around Europe and um, as lots of national team players are still students. But we try to get as many um, games going on before or we try to get as many games going on before Sweden as possible. And of course, we're always training um, every week. So we kind of do some games at the end of the training. But obviously, it's not just female, it's mixed. As mentioned in an ABC article, you're the head now of women's development for AFL Switzerland. So what are some of the things you've been trying to do to encourage uh, women, particularly uh, from uh, the Swiss Switzerland national women, so not just Aussie expats and others from overseas, um, to try and take up the game of Australian football? Yes, well, that's probably the most difficult part about it, getting women involved in security, as it is a physics sport and um, people are kind of scared of it as, as they just don't know it. So what we did, it's not just me, it's all AFL Switzerland. We try to recruit as many as possible just by talking to them, by encouraging them to get into a training session once. We did a couple of common try sessions as well, especially for women, um, which was um, quite successful. But we're still fighting, of course, but I think the most important thing to do is just to talk about it, to show how fun it is. And it's not more dangerous than another sport, I would say. It's just the, the way how you play. And that's something we have to focus on, that we 
really spread the word about it and get people involved. Um, another thing which is coming up, we we are in um, we're, we're having a common try session with the Unis um, Club here in Zurich, uh, which hopefully will bring a lot more interested women into our footy league. Let's. Uh focus on your pool in the Euro Cup. You'll be playing in uh, Pool B. And if I take a look at that uh, now, one of the sides you'll be up against, first of all, is the French. Um, you would have had a close look at them, obviously, playing in the Galilea Cup and uh, and had a quick eye on them at uh, the Parasite playing in the uh, Champions League back in April. What do you think of the French? Do you think they're a team that you can beat? Well, I hope so, <laughs> but obviously, as we've never played before in a Euro Cup, no idea how it will be, um, but I think we're a pretty good squad. We have potential to win, and we just try our best, and we'll see how we go. So even a small success is already a success, or we're already successful as we have our own team at Euro Cup this year. Let's look at uh, other sides in there. Uh, the Swedish Ravens uh, and also the England Vixens. Both of them are very experienced campaigners. The, the Swedish uh, finishing third the last uh, couple of goes. Uh, England Vixens always playing in the final since the women's division was established. So certainly a tough pull for you. Yes, that's very right. But I think we're also happy to have the Swedish against us because they're the um, hosting country. And that's probably really beneficial to us just in terms of like being there, being part of it. Um, obviously, England is really big there with footy, so they've got more experience than we have. But I reckon um, that we might have a chance if we just, um, yeah, um, do as we did in training sessions and we just have fun playing footy somewhere else. Um, than Australia. Let's talk about training sessions for a moment and preparing for this uh, Euro Cup tournament. I believe you've had a little assistance. I've been told that uh, Nicola Barr of the GWS Giants was spotted at one training session with the Geneva Jets. Yes, exactly. That was amazing. I actually went down to Geneva just to see her. I couldn't manage to get into the training as I was still at work, but um, we met up afterwards, so it was such a good night. And it was awesome to see the spirit of her, like just promoting whole footy within women. And it really motivated me to keep on going and to do my work as I am here in Switzerland as a women's as a, um, head of women's development. And yes, yeah, so that was really, really nice that she visited Switzerland. So once the Euro Cup is played this weekend, uh, the main focus will turn to about uh, three or four months from now in October in London, which is the AFL European Championships, which is 18 aside. At the moment, you'd be struggling for numbers to field an 18 aside team. Have you been in discussions with any of the other countries about uh, whether it be the European Crusaders or another joint combination and, and sending uh, Switzerland representatives over to London in October? Yes, we've got really good relationships with the Germans as well as the Croatian teams now because I've been playing for both of them. So we try to get as many women as possible involved. That means also if we say, okay, maybe we've got five women being interested in playing there, 
Um, we would take up other women from other countries as well because the main goal is that everyone can play footy and enjoy the time on the field. And I think we are pretty good here, especially Switzerland, in a good spot where it's very central to everything. So um, we might get a team, but I'm not sure yet. Uh, Yuriki, thank you very much for joining us here at uh, Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best on the inaugural debut of the Swiss Heidis at the AFL Euro Cup this weekend. Thank you very much, Peter. Have a wonderful rest of the day. <laughs> thank you. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to talk about the Euro Cup, which they are hosting this year. It's great to have on the line Ryan Davidson, the coach of the Swedish Ravens. Ryan, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks, Peter, for having us. It's, uh, it's great to be able to speak to everyone back in Australia. First of all, how does it feel as part of your country to be hosting the Euro Cup 2019 edition? Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Uh, we get to travel all around Europe every year for these tournaments, but to finally host it is it's fantastic. And in the middle of, middle of summer, it couldn't be better. Have you had to change much with the program in preparing? Because in past Euro Cups, it's been held in October, more towards the end of a season for most competitions. This time around, it's smack bang in the middle of June, or actually late June as... Uh, the middle of the uh, current summer over there, considering you've had three months less to work with, how much has that affected the preparation of the squad? Um, I think I I can speak for the Swedes only, but I think for many other European teams, it applies as well, is that we tend to have a a break over summer. So I think um, if most of the the countries have had a chance to play their first part of their season now before the summer break, then I think it's... um, it's just as good as having played the whole year out. So I can't see it being a disadvantage. So let's talk about Swedish women's football. When did it first appear on the scene? Um, early, it could be late 2013, early 2014. Um, I got involved in early 2014, but before that, there was one team that, that uh, played a, a match against the, the Danish women's team. And, but then 2014, we really got going with a team, a full team in Malmö in southern Sweden, and then 2015, we competed in our first Euro Cup in Croatia. That's fantastic to see how it's been going on and progressing. How has the numbers been, particularly in the last few years? We've seen, obviously, the explosion here in Australia of the AFLW competition, which began in 2017. Of course, we talked to those that played the game, uh, particularly in England and in the United States. They're watching it through the Watch AFL website. Has that given a boost in numbers in the Swedish competition, seeing this competition out there and being able to obviously promote it? Uh, it's given a boost in enthusiasm. I wouldn't say it's uh, it contributed to the numbers growing. Uh, what the main contribution to like that's the sport growing for women in Sweden is probably the establishment of a team in Stockholm, and not so we've got a team in the north and the south. Um, but I would definitely the the availability of being able to watch the, the matches on the women's footy app, AFLW app, and everything has definitely contributed to our players, our existing players getting really excited and just following the following the competition more and being just yeah, motiv- getting motivated to play even more. Has that contributed to an improvement in skills with the AFLW coming along and the women being able to watch fellow women play the game, knowing it's played pretty much in a, ver- a different style, particularly with shorter passing, etc., compared to the men's game? Yeah, I think so. I, I Personally, I, as a coach, I notice in certain players that the ones that really 
put the time in to watch uh, watch matches, that then I see that come back to training and they, they ask me questions like, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw this on the weekend. And then I see them take it into the game. So, yeah, definitely it's, it has improved rates of quality of, of how they play. Now, we know that some countries get to play uh, more often at club level. If we look over in England, obviously they've got the, the very successful AFL London competition. We look over in Ireland, they have their Super 7s carnivals regularly where around 50 or so women will play in that. Um, is it fair to say Sweden is a bit similar to the United States, where the United States, obviously they've got their larger cities, but they rarely travel maybe once a month or so to travel to another city to actually play a game, play some decent competition. How often is the Swedish player whether at club level or as the Swedish Ravens team, are able to take on opposing opposition? Yeah, it varies from year to year. And uh, we always hope that we can play more often each year as, as we progress. But I'd say we get to play a little bit less often than, the, than in the States, from what I hear. Because um, it depends on what's happening around us in like Denmark or Germany or, or Finland or wherever. So this year it's been pretty good so far. We've uh, we got to play a match against Stockholm early in the year. We played one against Aldense from Denmark. And then uh, Hamburg came over to Copenhagen last week and played. So, yeah, this year is, is, is great. But um, it, it really does vary year to year. And I'm really looking forward that more clubs establish women's, women's teams in Sweden so that we can have a regular competition. Because I, I feel everyone knows that that's what we need to take the next step forward. Now, what's some of the lessons you took out of those games played earlier this year for the squad and obviously trying to improve and hit peak form come this weekend? I think just being able to adapt your game style to, to different teams. Like last year, for example, we, we played only the Danes, I think, through the year. And now we've got to play, you know, uh, we've got a new coach in Stockholm uh, that has having a big influence up there for the girls. And then the one, the Hamburg team came over. So we have to, they all play a different style of football. Um, so, so, yeah, I just think it's that diversity in all the different teams. And the, the more teams we get to play, the more we can learn to adapt. Can you talk about the background of some of the players that are playing in your squad? Are they predominantly coming from soccer backgrounds or we're seeing some uh, crossover from rugby or other sports? It's extremely diverse. Um, if you look at the the general picture in Sweden, um, the soccer's huge, of course, but handball's quite big. Uh, basketball is uh, not as big, but there's a certain influence there. And I think well, when we look to recruiting and uh, you know, the players that we know might have come in as, as good natural sports people, and handball is a huge one because they have the, it's quite physically, it's quite, it's quite physical. There's a lot of physical contact and pushing and shoving. So yeah, we, handball is definitely a strong one that we like to, we like to get hold of those ones. And who have been some of your standout players in the handful of practice matches you've been able to have uh, before heading into the Euro Cup? Um, me, um, Christ is, uh, she's been with us for three or four years now and she's just always solid, um, Daphne, Barry, Chris, she's also, her, her improvement level's gone up massively. And Marlon, under that, she's uh, been with us not quite two years now, and, and her improvement's huge. Um, expect a, uh, I expect a good tournament from, from those three. Let's have a look at your fixture you've got coming up. Um, interesting to see, uh, you've got, I think, the newcomers, the Swiss Heidis, uh, in the opening game of your uh, Pool B. Yeah, I was really surprised to see them in the draw. I didn't actually know that they existed yet. I, I've seen a lot of stuff in the European social media about Swiss AFL in general, but uh, I didn't know that they would be in it. And yeah, it's great. I think it's great to see new teams. And uh, I know that our, our 
our girls love to play new teams each time if they get the opportunity. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really stoked that the, the, Swiss, the Swiss are getting involved. A couple of familiar rivals in your pool. First of all, we'll touch on the French, who, of course, uh, uh, you would have come across many a time, particularly when they would have been playing under the guise of the Paris Cockerels when they were playing in the uh, European Champions League uh, throughout April over the last couple of years. Um, how do you think you'll be matching up against the French this time round? Yeah, the interesting team, the French. I've got a lot of respect for them because they're just a bit like the Swedes and the Danes now. Like they're one of those teams in Europe, in the women's division, that have stuck at it and stuck at it and really, you know, through hard times, kept going and not given up. So yeah, I've got a lot of time for them. Um, but I think from what I saw at Champions League this year, they have improved and that will yeah definitely pay them a bit of respect on the field and and we'll have to work hard to get by them this year. To get through to essentially having a crack at the flag, you've got to get past the England Vixens. Uh, we know that there have been previous champions in the past. It's usually them and Ireland that have the rivalry when it comes to the final. Is there any part of the game plan you think you can find a weakness in to, to beat the Vixens uh, come this weekend? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think in nine-a-side football, yeah, if you can win the ball in the middle and get it forward, it, it's a massive thing, and then keep it forward. So, yeah, without going into too much detail, yeah. I, I think that, that uh, it's yeah that that is where a big part of winning those matches be short two two halves, twelve minute half matches. Uh, that's where that's where it lies, and uh, yeah, I think it, I think they can be beaten. That's all I can say, really. That, that and if we don't believe, then you know, if the belief isn't there, then. There's no point turning up. So yeah, I'll I'll be I'll be pushing the girls to give it a good crack against England. Let's hope so. If you get through them, you'd break their stranglehold because they have played in every uh, women's final since the creation of the women's division in 2013. Uh, past the Euro Cup, uh, once it's um, held this weekend, of course, we've got the uh, European Championships coming up, the 18-a-side uh, in October in London. Uh, what's the plan for the Swedes going forward? Is it to look to combine to be part of the uh, European Crusaders again? Uh, it's an option, of course. I mean, we haven't... We put all our folks in the Euro Cup at this stage. I, I brought up the question a few months ago once we found out about the championships. Yeah, in the yeah in the perfect world, hopefully Sweden can take a team there. I, I do have my doubts this year, but I, I'd, I'd like to do it. Um, and then yeah, you never know. If AFL Europe lets us, maybe we can put a Scandinavian team in, or if not, a European Crusaders team. But I'm sure after the Euro Cup now that communications will get going with that. And just to give a bit of an insight into the depth of Swedish football, uh, when you were considering your squad to take over, what is the depth? How many numbers do you actually have to choose from throughout women playing football across Sweden? Great question. Um, this year, actually, we had to choose a team, and it's not always like that. Uh, on a couple of allocations, there might have been one or two players over the 16 limit, but this year, I think we were four over the limit. So, and... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, you know in some ways it's nice um, to have a small squad because it's very close, but then it's also very hard to to create competition to push the quality higher the whole time. So I think for the future, it's great that we we needed to choose a team this year. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we wish you all the very best in not only playing but also hosting the tournament this weekend in Sweden. Thanks, Peter. We're looking forward to it, and yeah, we'll do our best for Sweden. 
and joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, the coach of the Welsh Wyverns. It's great to have on the line Jess Sellers. Jess, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. How are the nerves feeling as we head into the weekend and the Euro Cup? Yeah, we're, we're a bit nervous. We're very excited. Um, it's obviously quite a big deal for us. Uh, it's a really good good chance to get away and practice some of our football. Um, so, yeah, no, it's very exciting. It's a little bit nerve-wracking. What about your football journey, Jess? How did you first get involved in Aussie rules? Um, so, I came to Cardiff, which is where we trained about a year ago um, from rugby. I used to play quite high-level rugby, but um, we found a new team, um, and they were they were awesome, great group, group of people. Um, unfortunately, though, I got injured playing in a game, I think, in about January. So since then, I've been manager and coach um, of the women's team. And I believe the Welsh Wyverns are all exclusively coming out of the Cardiff Panthers club. Uh, yes, at the moment, um, because obviously it's a really big game in Australia, but it's less of a big game in Wales. Um, so we are the only club in Wales. But it would be something we'd love to look forward to in the future. Uh, maybe Northern Wales could have a team um, and be a bit more competitive and a bit more selective. So let's talk about the build-up to the Euro Cup campaign. How much of an opportunity have the side under the banner of the Cardiff Panthers had to play together? Um, yeah, so we've been fortunate enough to be in a national university league. Um, so they're games that run throughout the year. Uh, we've also had training, uh, additional training sessions as well in the run-up to Euro Cup, um, which have been excellent. Uh, we've had classroom sessions and tactic sessions. Um, yeah, uh, we've also had a few people train with the GB Swans. Um, most people, I think, in the squad have had a chance to train with them. Some have had a chance to play with them. Um, there was also the England University Student uh, League went to Dublin to play in Dublin as well. So we've had quite a few opportunities to be able to practice um, on and off the pitch. What's it also been like trying to find local competition? Any success uh, of trying to find women to play against, <laughs> for example, in Bristol or Sussex? Yeah, well, Bristol Bristol is only about an hour away. It's quite close. And there is a team in Bristol. Um, they often play for us if we go further afield to Brighton or to Nottingham. But you know, we have had a few friendlies against the Bristol players. Um, so it's really excellent. They've just started a team in Bristol. Um, so they've just about been able to field enough players to compete against us. We're really lucky in that sense. Hopefully in about a year's time, it'll be quite competitive between the two teams. Uh, we'll get lots of practice in. If we look at the development of the Welsh Wyverns, we go back a couple of years ago. Its original debut in the Euro Cup was alongside uh, the Danish team, uh, combined forces there, uh, and then fielding your own side uh, in Cork last year. How have you seen the development of the squad and its skills and game plan style over the years? Yeah, yeah, over the year, actually. I think there's been fantastic development. Um, I think about a year ago, we had about five female players. Um, now we're able to squad... Uh, the squad, sorry, to fill a full squad. Um, I think we're taking about 16 of us to Sweden, um, which is excellent. Obviously, we've got more players who just decide not to come to Sweden. Um, in terms of our understanding, I think that's some, something that we really need to work on as a team. I think we've got a lot of skill in the team, um, especially since a lot of people are coming over from different sports like rugby, netball, cycling, um, and hockey. Uh, we've got a lot of skill, but our understanding is what really needs to be developed. So we've started to develop that with positional talks, um, game tactics, classroom sessions, etc. Um, but yeah, I still think that's definitely something that we need to, going forward, 
something we need to focus on. Who have been some of your standout players in the uh, lead-up to the tournament? Um, so our captain, Jen Taylor, um, is an excellent player. She came from a rugby background. Um, so is very physical, very much like contact, and is a really good ball carrier. Um, we've got Jenny Green, who is one of our Panthers captains for the Cardiff team. Um, she is excellent. She's someone with a lot of experience under her belt, um, able to keep a cool head. Uh, she's a PE teacher, actually, so she's got a lot of... Um, a lot of understanding about AFL also knows how to react in tough situations. Uh, we've got Nicole Hagen, who's really good in defence, and Martha Williams, who is excellent in attack. Um, she's fairly little, can get underneath the ball quite easily and very fast, gets away from a lot of players. And according to the AFL Europe website, they recommend uh, Sophie Williams, saying that she's a newbie with a lot of potential. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sophie Williams, another person with a lot of potential, actually came over from cycling. Um, but it's got fantastic hand-eye coordination. She's quite a natural with the ball. Um, there are quite a few newbies that I think will be quite good. Um, so, yeah, it'll be so exciting to see how it plays out in Sweden. Now, we talk about players crossing over from other sports to take up Aussie rules. Obviously, soccer and rugby is the, is the usual expected sport, so you can throw in netball as well. But I actually believe two of your players even play American football for Great Britain. Yes, they do. And they're actually... Can't list all my team, but yeah, no. So Zoe um, and Lauren are fantastic players as well. They're very physical, um, so I wouldn't want to come across them in a in a matchup. But yeah, no, they're very good. Um, their, pri- their primary sport is American football. Uh, I think Zoe as well has played GB Swans AFL. Um, so yeah, two fantastic players who can bring something different to the team with their physicality for sure. Let's have a look at Paul A and the signs that you're up against. Uh, you've got the German Eagles, which is a, a growing uh, competition over there. I think they've got four sides now and they've been performing well on their year or so that they've been playing yeah. at national level. You've got the Croatian Queens who have had a number of third and fourth places at the Euro Cup in the past. And then you've got the Irish Bounties who have won three Euro Cup titles. <laughs> I think Ireland are the team to be. Um, I think they might be the one. Uh, taking the win in the Euro Cup. Um, so that's going to be our most competitive game um, and our biggest challenge, absolutely. Um, Croatia, I'm quite excited to play because I know that uh, last Euro Cup uh, we lost to them. But since then, as I've mentioned in this in this conversation, we've had a lot of growth and development. We've had a lot of new players and we've got a lot of skill and a lot of potential on our team. Um, throughout our university cups, we started off, I think the first time we played Birmingham University, we lost quite significantly. Um, the second time we played them, we almost beat them. I don't know what went wrong on that on that game, but we almost beat them. We were almost there. Um, and our ability to, uh, to perform well as a team is only growing. So I think Croatia will be a really good chance to prove uh, how far we've come as a team and to really succeed in this um, championship. Every side would love to take out the cup, but as you're still a growing program, what would you see as a pass mark for the Wyverns in this competition? <laughs> a pass mark for the Wyverns. Um, I think as long as we're developing as a team, as as long as there's some development, there's got to be a lot of development with us. Um, I think that's really important. So if we can individually take away some new knowledge or some new skills that we've worked on we could be happy with our game that would be fantastic um, I think Croatia I, I really like us to beat Croatia because I know we've got it in us um, and we'll see how it goes in Germany <laughs> but yeah pass mark 
as long as we're all learning, as long as we're all developing, and as long as we're all progressing and taking away something, that would be fantastic. Um, but I think we, I think we can beat Croatia. Looking to pass the Euro Cup, of course, we've got the 18-a-side European Championships coming up in October in London. So it's only a few months yeah. away. Unlike the other nations, which may be playing separately or as part of European Crusaders, of course, the Welsh, the Scottish, who aren't playing in the Euro Cup this year, and along with the English combined to form the GB Swans. Um, how many players are you hopeful that will be picked out of the Welsh team to make the eventual GB Swans squad that will play in that tournament? That's a really good question. Um, we've got a few really good girls who unfortunately are from Irish descent so aren't allowed to play for um, the GB Swans uh, Southern Ireland I imagine um, but I think of the of people we do have I think we could expect to see four to six um, maybe maybe a little bit even higher than that depends on who wants, who wants to put themselves forward for it and how hard they're prepared to work um, to achieve success but yeah I'm I'm hoping that about six players will get picked for that. Well, Jess, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Welsh all the very best as you play in Pool A at the <laughs> Euro Cup this Saturday in Sweden. Thanks very much. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au we're continuing our look at the AFL Europe Niners side Euro Cup tournament to be played in Sweden this week. And, and we're now going to turn our attention to the Croatian Queens. They've had some mixed results of the tournament, some fourth and third place finishes over the years. And joining us on the line now from the Croatian Queens team is Nikolina Liko. Nikolina, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm great. <laughs> now, I do detect yeah. an Aussie accent. Now, are you an Aussie in Croatia? Yeah, well, uh, my parents are Croatian, but they were born in Australia and they've lived in Australia to about 1997. And then we all moved here and I was born here and all my fam- the rest of my family was born here in Croatia. So, yeah. I detect the accent, so it certainly had an influence on you and it's had an influence on the sport that you love. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for, fir- for the first, like, first part of my life, ever since I was little, I've known about Australian football, but I've only shown some interest in it recently. And, you know, because I wanted to play it and, you know, I wanted to have a connection with it and I also wanted to do some sport, uh, I figured might as well have it be something that, you know, is worthwhile and worth my time. So I decided to look for uh, an Australian rules club here in Croatia so I could play. And I came across uh, the Zagreb Panthers. And uh, they let me they let me know when the trainings were, and I just joined them, and that's how I started uh, playing foot in Croatia. We've seen the uh, queens uh, take part in a number of Euro Cups, so we need to ask the question: uh, When did women's football actually begin first in Croatia? Uh-huh. Women's football began began in Croatia in 2015, and it was. Uh, our debut was in Umag, which is also in Croatia. So the Euro Cup in Umag. Uh, that uh, during that time, our trainer was Hrvoje Habljak, 
and Hurua Hablek has been a trainer throughout 2016 and 2017. Uh, in 2016 in Lisbon, we actually won uh, third place, and that was a big thing for us considering it was our only second Euro Cup, and you know, we were such a small country. Uh, in 2017, we were in Bordeaux, and Hedwig Hablek was also our trainer. In 2018, we were in Cork, and Bing Sug uh, became our trainer for that year. And uh, this year, we are excited to announce that we have a female trainer. And not only that, uh, this year is actually very special for us, um, not only because of Matea, who is a female trainer, but also because uh, our Croatian team is built out of uh, uh, the two clubs that we have now, the two female clubs. And this is also the first year that we have those two female clubs. So it's actually like a an official um, national team that we have representing two, dif- two very different and unique teams. What tactics were used to help grow that second club in Croatia and, and, and get women uh, from the area interested in Australian football? Oh, it's just like uh, getting whoever you know and just in telling them to come to a few trainings and, you know, footy does the rest. I mean, uh, footy is a sport that matches are kind of a Croatian heart and things. And so it's, a, it's you know, whoever comes, a lot of people, like a lot of people that come actually stay there because it's so um, so much fun to play and it's such an entertaining sport, like, you know, for everybody, even for the ones that are just, uh, that just come to watch our games and everything. But the tactic is more or less just inviting whoever you can, looking for people wherever you can. We go to schools, we go to universities, we go to all different places and just uh, ask people to come for one training and they just stick around for the rest. Do you find the quality of the Croatian Queen's squad has gone up again, not only because you have more players to choose from, but you're able to have more regular uh, matches here in Croatia? Yeah, yeah. Considering now that we have, uh, even last year, we started like kind of splitting up and uh, develop, like uh, playing more games. But uh, this year, now that we have like officially have two uh, different clubs, you know, uh, we actually play the Croatian League. We have also the Champions League to fight for now. And we also have um, uh, the TAFL, which is like um, a European kind of Eastern European, South European, kind of uh, all those countries that come to play. Uh, and so we have a lot more competitions to play and that's where we kind of build our quality and that's where we build um, our game sense and our tactics and see how both the players and the trainers grow. And so it's very interesting to watch that. And I believe if I'm correct, some of the Croatian women participated in the Galilea Cup back in March in France? Yeah, yeah, yes. That was, uh, it was uh, two of us, so it was... Um, uh, we went to yeah, we went to Paris and the, it was just the two players. It was me and another girl, and uh, that was uh, more for like for experience and for the love and you know and 
we just wanted to play more games. So we decided to go and play that as well. And it was always, it was really nice because the French really welcomed us and they made us a part of their team and it was really lovely to play for them. It was really nice and a lovely experience. And you get a taste of footy from a different perspective and, you know, and it's very interesting to see what similarities and what differences the French have uh, compared to us. Having a look at your squad, I believe you've got uh, five debutantes uh, in the squad this year. Yeah, yeah, we've got well, we've got a lot of them actually. Uh, it's it's kind of uh, difficult to really explain because uh, they they come at different times and everything. But more or less, yes, we have uh, quite a fair amount of uh, rookies here now because um, we're fresh, you know, with the new clubs and everything. And so many of the players have already shown such talent and such passion. And it was just something that we loved to have in the team, in our national team. And it was just so much fun. And many more would have come, but, you know, there's unis, there's exams now, there's all these things going on. So, uh, unfortunately, many of them couldn't just come because of simply those little things, those things that are not little, but, you know, the, the, they share the main thing is that they share the love and that they want to be there. Your captain for the tournament, Anna Vukovic. Oh, she's an excellent player. I mean, she's quick and she's very smart. She's very intelligent on the field. And uh, me having to be the person that has to that plays against her, you know, on the same position is uh, a, it's a very, very big challenge to keep track of her. She's um, lots of fun and she's a very lovely person. And considering that she's very young, she's a lot young, uh, she's uh, maybe two years younger than me. She's uh, quite mature and she really is, I feel, uh, an excellent captain and an excellent representative uh, of the Croatian Queens. If anything, for Croatia, defence normally stands out. And I guess two players to keep an eye on will be uh, Dina Bedner and uh, Maria Kos. Oh, Maria Kos and Dina Bedner, definitely. Unfortunately, Dina Bednar will, will not be, uh, most likely won't be playing because of uh, an injury that she has. Uh, we will see how that goes and how it, what Friday will Bring by the time we leave Croatia. But Maria, of course, is definitely a, a strong defensive player and you can always count on her tackles. You can always count on her defensive play. Uh, she's definitely got that, you know, it's it's very, we, we actually, it's very interesting that we had to, be, you have to build the tactic around her and she's a very, very uh, intelligent player. On the other hand, we have Dina Bednar and Dina Bednar is just so young and so willing to do so many things and she's so good at like uh, her her growth uh, her tactical and technical growth throughout uh, the the years that she's been playing because she's only been here for two years is actually really amazing and it's very very uh, great to see how someone is able to improve in such a short time and she's got so much more potential and I'm looking forward to both of them growing in footy Maria growing what she already has and Dina finally getting to the ultimate player that she she wants to be According to the AFL Europe website they reckon we should keep an eye out for some debutants like Antonio Kabla and uh, Dia Dam Yeah definitely Antonio Kabla is um, 
She is a quite an interesting player. She it's very fun to watch her play just because of her uh, very simple, you know, score the goal, that's all you have to do, just score a goal and score a goal and that's what she sticks to and she scores goals. It's simple, you know. Like there's no extra thing that she has to think about or something. It's very fun to watch her play because she just plays. It's it's just fun to watch. And Dadam is definitely someone who you have to keep an eye out for. Uh, because she's very strong in the defense, although she's quite uh, skinny and everything. But uh, most of what she does play on is her brains and just her aggression in the sense of she uh, is going to make sure that she can, you know, uh, she's going to try her best and she's going to give 100% in stopping the player. And just it's a lot of fun to watch those two girls play. Let's talk about your competition that's going to be in Pool A and, and who you're up against and your thoughts on them. Uh, the first team that you'll be taking on, actually, at the 10am uh, game is going to be the Welsh Wyverns. Um, pretty much in a similar boat to you, where they essentially got a two-team competition down there where Cardiff are playing uh, uh, Bristol regularly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be definitely an interesting match. We can't underestimate any of them because, you know, every single everybody who came there deserves to be there. And that's how we all have the mentality, and that's how we're going to treat them. So there's no, there's no, um, we there. There's of course there's better and there's better teams and stuff like that. But everybody's, um, everybody's someone who you have to go 100 percent, 100 percent against. Um, and uh, I think they are going to be a very interesting game because uh, we uh, did play against them. But it was never in a kind of um, competitive environment, in the sense of a competitive environment. And in the, um, how would I explain it? Uh, we we ne- we never had them amongst the first groups, or we didn't often have them amongst the first groups, or we'd really have to fight for the medal, and where where we would have to kind of fight uh, for the game. So it was a very different kind of experience. Uh, both for us and for them, you know, we never played them fresh. We never uh, went in. But I do think, I do believe that they are going to be a um, a very difficult team to play against. They are, as you said, uh, they've got their competitions and I'm sure that they've got, that they've developed their tactics and their technique and I'm sure that they're going to be a pretty big um a pretty big team to play against, and but I am very much looking forward to it because I'm very interested uh, to see how they've grown from the past couple of years, and yeah, that's it. How about the German Eagles? Because Germany, of course, played uh, made their debut in the Euro Cup uh, last year. They're in your group uh, this year, yeah. and you actually got a good look at some of their players who, of course, were playing in that Galilea Cup tournament that you played back in uh, March. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got we've got a uh, even in um, even in the Champions League 2019, like this year, uh, the hem, uh, the Dockers were playing. Uh, so, uh, like the female Dockers, mm. and uh, we got a good look uh, of them. Like they're very, uh, they're going to be a very challenging team, 
and it's uh, mostly because of their, you know, like how you like the German kind of mentality. Uh, your biggest challenge will come in your yeah. last game of the pool at 1pm when you yeah. take on the reigning champions, the Irish Banshees. We know because of their Gaelic background, it's about run and spread and plenty of run. Um, how do you combat a side like that that's just going to keep running and running the ball all day? Yeah, I mean, that that's always a challenge, especially like, yeah, the Gaelic pass is a, a very big thing because they're very athletic and they're very... You know, they, they're, they're in this sport and they understand how the game feels and, you know, um, and they more or less do it on a professional level or close to a professional level. Um, so it's going to be a very uh, different game from what we would play, you know, what we will be playing beforehand and what we play when we're here in Croatia. But it's definitely going to be an interesting game. Uh, we just have to know that we have to go 100% in it in the sense of uh, they are going to be a big challenge, but I believe that we can just just as much just keep running, just keep trying, just keep doing. That's all you can do against a big team like that and just give 100% uh, the entire time. And uh, that's what we're counting on. We're counting on against every team just to go 100% and play on the best parts that we have in our team and just work our way. And we keep trying, we keep pushing. That's how we do it. I mean, uh, that's that's how we win games and that's how we get, that's how we get to good results. Well, Nicolina, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best this weekend as you represent Croatia in the AFL Euro Cup. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And joining us on the line now, calling in all the way from Germany to talk about the Eagles making their second appearance at the AFL Euro Cup. It's great to have on the line their new coach in Emily Mackay. Emily, how are you? I'm great. How are you going, Peter? I hear a familiar Australian accent. If I'm correct, you're originally from the Yarra Ranges of Victoria. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I'm uh, all the way all the way here in Germany from from Melbourne. So pretty exciting. That, that begs the Been question here for a couple of months now. That, that begs the question: How did someone from the Yarra Ranges end up in Germany? Well, it's a it is a bit of a long story, but uh, I had a German friend come and stay with me. For a couple of months, I was living in the city for for a few months in uh, early 2018, and I ended up uh, going to visit him in July last year. And while I was over, I've got a working background in football, so I met up with Ryan from AFL Europe, who's in, um, he runs um, at the organisation, and he got me on to Lisa Wilson from Hamburg Docker Football Club. Uh, she has been getting um, the football up in Germany and she's done a really good job of it and I went and visited her while I was over in Germany and uh, decided that I'd come over again this year for an exchange and we sort of got chatting and about coaching and obviously with my background in football um, I got the position of coaching the national team which is very awesome. How intimidating is it for an Australian to take over a national team in Australian football? Considering if you took over a local club back here in Melbourne, everyone's grown up knowing the game. And even if they're new to it and their schools aren't up to grabs, they're familiar with the terminology. How difficult is that? Plus the language barrier as well of trying to explain the tactics and the skills of the game. Yeah, so it's a lot of simplification of um, when, when you're speaking. 
uh, a lot of introducing new terminology uh, a little bit at a time. We went, I had a uh, PowerPoint and we went over a few uh, words that we use as well. Um, most of the girls, well, all the girls speak English. Uh, we've got one that's maybe not so good at English, but we've managed to cater for her as well. Uh, it's, it's actually quite hard, but it's, um, it's a really nice challenge, to be honest, and it's quite refreshing, but the girls are always so eager to learn, and so they sort of just soak up every bit of information that you give them anyway. And courtesy of Watch AFL's website now making that you can watch the AFLW anywhere you want in the world as long as you obviously uh, pay for their global pass, um, how much easier is it to show women the women's game opposed to, I guess, in the past where you could only show them the men playing the game, which is played in a very different style? Yeah, um, for sure. So we've been able to give the girls access to games and we've um, they've, they've all got their favourite players, of course, which is really cool. Um, and just sort of showing, like when I explain things, to be able to show them on, um, like in a professional league, like what they're doing as well, it makes a massive difference rather than always aspiring to have a look at what the men are doing. Um, so, the, yeah, the accessibility uh, is been fantastic and quite fortunate that the um, ABLE Jack is getting up at the right time when we've already got the access to the professional football back home. Of course, the German Eagles made their debut at the Euro Cup last year. It was uh, very quick that they got off the ground up and running and I think even got a couple of wins from that inaugural first tournament. What are you looking to improve on in particular for the German performance coming into the second campaign? Yeah, so uh, I wanted to add a lot of structure to their game. So looking at spatial awareness and game sense and because it's in, in uh, football's in its infancy in Germany, there's still a lot of ball following going on. And, I mean, that's still pretty prevalent in uh, female football back home as well. So I just wanted to let the girls be okay um, when the other team gets the ball and then making sure that we're going to be there for the next kick um, or the next attack and just just sort of throwing in all, all different elements of the game as opposed to just win the ball, like get the ball, win the ball, kick the ball, kick some goals. Um, so, yeah, just a lot more structure. Um, and zoning, we put a zone in, um, which will be really interesting to see how that goes this weekend. So I'm very excited, um, yeah, to see how it all unfolds because we've, we've practised a lot of new things. Um, yeah. Personally, as a coach, how much do you actually have to change your game plan as well, knowing that obviously we're playing with nine aside and not 18 aside, and you won't have that much space available compared to a normal oval-shaped field. You're obviously playing on a rectangle on a soccer pitch as we do in these Euro Cup tournaments. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a completely different ball game with a nine aside as opposed to an 18 aside. Um, so you've got your three forward, three three back. And what I sort of try to do is changed up a bit. Um, so we've got our, our normal full-back position and I've just sort of taken, uh, I've got a bit of a soccer background as well, so I, I've taken the idea of using a sweeper in the back line as um, a person that's always behind the play and um, uh, giving our, the, our players even if they're playing in the midfield, they're either an offensive or a defensive midfielder, so that helps with our rotations as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a completely different game so I've had to wrap my head around it by watching some games and even playing myself back here um, just to try and get a feel of what will work and what won't work in the tournament. With the growth of the local competition for AFL Germany Women's now expanding to four teams, how's that affected the squad? How many new players have you actually had come in compared to last October's Euro Cup campaign? So we've got uh, eight that played last year, so they've got the experience of the tournament format. And um, 
Yeah, there's seven new ones. We've got a, a, a woman called Jen English who is just a pure athlete, very new to the game, only three months, but she's an absolute gun. So she'll be, um, she'll put in some experience from her uh, national judo um, playing uh, as well as com- uh, competing. So she brings a lot of, I'd say, professionalism and composure, which is really awesome. Um, we've got Tina uh, Meissner, who has an amazing amount of game awareness. He's played for a couple of years now. And our captain, um, Rezzy, has really good physicality as well. Um, so Tina and Rezzy are two players that played last year. Um, so they'll bring in their experience. So then we've got your Dan English and a couple of other new players that will you know, um, bring in a, a breath of fresh air to the team. And, um, yeah, hopefully we come away with the win. And if I'm correct, Tina actually went to Dublin um, not that long ago to try out with the Crosscoders camp. Yeah, so she went over the weekend. We had our training camp, <laughs> but um, she had a pretty good experience. But from what I can gather, it was very uh, focused on the Irish players. So I don't think she actually got much of a look, which is a little bit disappointing. She's a she's an absolute gun, um, and like I said, her spatial awareness is uh, or her game awareness is second to none. It's like really, really good player. Yeah, certainly that has been a bit of a criticism of the crosscut. As much as it's been a great program for pushing through the Irish, the other players from the other nations haven't really had much of a good look in as yet. Um, as we said with the local competition and, and how it's been strong and how we've got four new teams in there, who have been some of the players uh, that have been actually been in red-hot form in the local competition that have caught your eye and you're hoping they're going to continue that form into the Euro Cup? Yeah, so back on um, Jen English, she... Um, I cannot talk her up um, anymore. She, um, like I said, she's got amazing composure. If I put her in the middle of the ground, I know that she's going to be there. Like she's the she's the target. Um, you know that she's going to mark the ball. She's got a great kick on her. Um, so I can't wait to see her in the Euro Cup. We've also got uh, Ali. Uh, she plays for Cologne. Ali Dengling. Um, she has been really, really good. Uh, usually she plays as a half forward, but she's actually been playing as a half back um, in her last couple of games, which is um, very nice to have the flexibility, uh, especially in a, in a tournament where it's quite full on. So I'm excited to have her playing for us as well. Let's have a look at your opponents in Pool A. You've got the Croatian Queens who have uh, participated in a number of tournaments, finishing anywhere from third to fourth. You've got the Welsh Wyverns, and Wales football is starting to grow, particularly with more competition from Bristol and Sussex. And then you've got the reigning champions, the Irish Banshees, in your pool. How do you feel about Pool A? <laughs> I looked at that and I was feeling pretty confident before we got the picture. And then I was like, oh, we got some competition going on. So um, playing Ireland will be very hard. They're our first game. Uh, I had a look at their game against England in the grand final last year. And really the reason why they won is they just had so much structure and um, England fell away when they were playing against them. Um, and they started to play a bit of a man-on-man. They started to panic. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting playing against Ireland um, because obviously Germany's going to have their own um, zone as well. So I anticipate that that's actually going to be quite a high-scoring game first up in the morning. And then we've got Croatia, who are very fast, and we're more of a tall team. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes and um, which team wins on the day. 
So what would you see as a pass mark for this tournament? Obviously, every team wants to win the title, but considering Germany's still a growing program and you're only in your second year, and that's nine months removed from the last tournament that you played in, where do you see as a pass mark for the side? To be honest, I actually have really, really high expectations for our team. <laughs> like, they they are a really good side. We've got some really good depth. Um, so I would really want to be top three. Um, and I, I really want to be able to push against the, the clubs such as Ireland and England, the ones that have been playing for quite a long time. I think that, um, like I said before, we've got a lot of structure um, now and girls have more of an idea of where they're going, what they're doing, and a lot more confidence. And, um, yeah, so like I said, third place would be amazing. Um, and I said that to the girls, and I think they've also got pretty high expectations of where they want to finish. Like, we're going in feeling... Pretty, I wouldn't say like too confident. I wouldn't say cocky, but we're feeling pretty confident. I think we can we can take on the best. And it's fair to have that confidence because you actually did team up with the Swiss back in uh, March in the Galilee Cup in France, in which you took out the title. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. We've got um, we've got the girls to do it, um, and it's it's been proven. So now that we've got like our best players playing in this game um, or in competition. Yeah, it'll, like I said, it'll be uh, really interesting to see how we go against the likes of Ireland and England. So what's the plan going forward post-Euro uh, Cup 2019? As we know, coming up at about three or so months' time uh, in October in London will be the AFL European Championships, which is the 18-a-side tournament. What is the feeling out of the German camp? Will you be bold to aim to put an 18-a-side team in there? Are you looking at uh, talking with the European Crusaders or just other individual nations about a combined team to go across to London? Well, I don't know of any talks of combining the team. I have, uh, I've got my flight booked home after the European Championships. So I'm hoping we build a team in London. Um, we had a development squad come and train with us in Schoenigen when we had our training camp. So we had I think, 18 girls come and train together um, with the idea that the development girls were going to be playing in London. So we wanted to train them up and teach them things such, like simple things such as no U-turns, um, having a player at the back of the pack pass to just tiny little things like that so that when we are preparing for London, uh, everyone's sort of on the same page already and everyone knows each other. So as far as I'm concerned, we've got full intentions to see our own team in an 18 side club. That would be absolutely fantastic if the Germans could do it to be up there alongside the uh, Irish and the GB Swans as another full nation as an 18-a-side competition. And it's great to see just quietly um, the, the speed of which the German competition has been growing over the last not even 24 months. Yeah, so, I mean, we started with two predominant teams in Hamburg and Berlin, and then Frankfurt has got a team up. Cologne are very close to getting a team up as well. Um, they played a game down south in Stuttgart, um, so, so the numbers are rapidly growing. People are interested. Um, so we're getting a couple of teams up now, which is absolutely fantastic. And having a background in working in female football development, to see it growing in another country um, in the female space is really awesome to see. And it makes me so excited, to be honest. Well, Emily, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. And we wish you all the very best in the coaching role as you lead the German Eagles this weekend in Sweden in the Euro Cup. Thanks, Peter. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, the captain of the England Vixens. It's great to have on the line Laura Turner-Ramadan. Laura, how are you? 
I'm very well, thank you, Peter. I'm good. Great to speak to you. Does it feel odd to be talking Euro Cup now? It's a tournament we're usually used to playing in October, but this year it's coming around earlier, being on the last weekend of June in Sweden. Yeah, it's pretty strange. You've only had six months since the previous one, although I have to say I'm, I'm quite looking forward to the fact that being in June, the weather's going to be a little bit nicer than it was in uh, October and Cork in Ireland last year. So, yeah, it, it's strange that it's come around so quick, but, but exciting. It's quite nice. We were... Um, a bit salty after the loss in, in Cork so it's quite nice to have only had to wait six months to try and get a little bit of revenge. We'll talk about that in a moment about some of the sides that you'll be facing in cup, coming up against and of course the English uh, success that you've had over many years but first of all a change at the top for you um, a new coach Rob Fielder has taken over. Yeah that's right uh, got a lot of history being involved with the Dragon Slayers the uh, England men's team um, quite a few years ago now, so it was great. We, we were really stuck. We thought, right, what are we going to do here? Um, when our previous coach had uh, gone back to Australia, Mitch going back to Australia last year, and we thought, right, you know, we've got to find a coach. We've only got six months. We've got to put points on really quickly just to make sure that, you know, we've got enough time to get some time with the squad and get it picked. So, yeah, it was a real coup managing to get, to get Rob Fielder on board. And how's that affected things uh, with a shorter time frame to pick a squad? Because I believe you've got seven debutants uh, for this Euro Cup tournament. How hard is it to pick that, considering that it's a period of time, really, where you're not actually playing any football until late March, early April? Yeah, there was, it was a challenge. We had to obviously get this squad picked pretty early. Um, around about sort of February time, we had both we had our two selection days. Um, and you'd obviously like some of the girls, some of the newer girls, to perhaps have had a little bit more summer football under the belt. Uh, but that's just the way that it is. You know, some people do cut their teeth in the big tournaments. Um, and like I said, that's just sometimes the way that things go. We're really confident in the squad that we've got. Uh, we have got some really, really exciting new players. Um, lost a couple, um, of course, but it's, it's, it's just the way that it is this year. Like I said, it's the same for a lot of teams. Um, you know, they're going to be in similar positions with regards to timing. So... So that's all right. We've always focused a lot on the talent that's been coming out of the AFL uh, London League, which obviously has the most clubs uh, throughout the UK. But what has the talent been like coming through? Not obviously your own Nottingham Scorpions, but from some of the other leagues from around the country, including those that are obviously down south, they're playing against uh, Carter Panthers and up north like West Lothian who are playing in Scotland. Yeah, so we've got a couple of girls come through. We've had Sean Crew. Um, who's down from Brighton. She plays for the Sussex Swans. She's a really exciting um, half-back defender. She's got a bit of a Gaelic background as well. And so that lends itself, as we know, really, really nicely to support. So it's good to pick up some of those girls. Alex Peel, um, who's in the squad again, who's not a debutante. She's been around for a couple of years, uh, came to IC. She's now living up in Manchester. So it's good to have um, girls sort of a little bit more spread out around the country who are developing, who are in the squad. Has anyone starred from out of the university league and, and made their way into the squad? Yeah, so we've got Kate Franklin. She's, uh, she was at the University of Birmingham. She was also involved in the Crosscoders program this year, uh, which was a good experience. Um, and she was you know, one of the standouts, I believe, from the, the English university team. She's done, she's done really, really well. And sometimes it's easy to forget that actually she's only been playing um, sort of less than six months or so, really. Uh, with her team, she's got any extra practice. She's been incredibly dedicated, and you can tell that you can see that in her skills. Um, she's really, really come a long way. And like I said, it's, it's really easy to forget that actually she's only played sort of a handful of 18 side games. She's playing for the North London Lions as well this year, which is a great experience for her. 
he's really, really shining and really coming on as a player. Real natural defender. And who are some of the other uh, newbies that have come into the squad that have really stood out, not only in the selection days, but obviously playing in, for example, the AFL London League over the last couple of months? Yeah, so we've got um, Sophie Todd, who's a new girl. She's going to the squad, and Joanna Lum. So those ladies are from the, from the Nottingham area, and they've got the game with their rugby players. So they're giving us some real grit and fight and determination and some real hard attacking the ball. Um, it's going to be great to see Sophie Todd playing uh, playing up top, playing like some of our previous um, uh, forwards, forward targets that we've had in the past at England. Um, yeah, so that's a really, really exciting girls to watch. And like I said, I think it's just going to add to our game um, the dynamic of, of what we're trying to do. We've got a new, another couple of girls down in London um, who've been uh, who the de- uh, playing for the ones of Demons, Alicia Harris. Um, she's looking really sprightly. So she's um, a, little, a real fast runner. Um, she's a new girl to the game, so she's you know relatively inexperienced compared to some of the other girls, but she's picking up the skills really, really well. So it, it's great to have her involved as well. Looking to Paul B and the sides that you'll be playing against to obviously get through to the semi-final stage and uh, eventually the final. Uh, as much as you'd be going in as favourites, it is a tricky pull. Uh, you've got, for example, in there uh, the French uh, for when they've been playing as the Paris Cockerels. They've actually done fairly well in the Champions League in previous years in Amsterdam. You've got the Swedish Ravens who've actually finished third the past two years. that will be nipping on your heels. And then you've got the unknown quantity in the Swiss Heidis. How do you feel about your opposition in Paul B. Yeah, it's always going to. You just never know coming into the Euro Cup. You just really, really never know. There's so many different factors that affect it. Um, sometimes the location can affect the strength of the team that they bring. So we're definitely expecting the fact that Swedes are going to be strong. It's a huge home advantage hosting the competition, um, as we saw in Ireland last year. So we're really expect Swedish girls are always strong. Swiss, like you said, just got no idea what they're going to bring. I've done a fair amount of social media stalking and couldn't see very much. So that always makes me feel a little bit a little bit nervy when you just don't know, really know what to expect. Um, and I've heard some things about the French. Um, Lisa Wilson, who's got a finger on the pulse, as you know, of everything in uh, in European football, women's football. Um, she's telling me that the French are looking good. They've picked up some new girls. And they might have got a couple of girls from a rookie background as well. Um, and she's talking very favourably about how, uh, how the French might go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those, as well as obviously having the new girls I've mentioned so far, We've also got a couple of other ones. You know, we've got Susie Carr, um, who's bringing us an awful lot of running carry from that midfield. She's staying in the uh, South East London Giants, the London League. So whilst all these, you know, these other teams are, have got these other new girls who potentially have got our own um, sort of smoking guns that are, that are new to the squad. Is there any additional pressure on the Vixens coming into this tournament, considering that since the women's division was created in 2013, albeit in the first year it was just yourself and the French, but every year you've played off in the final game, being playing for the title. It's been essentially back and forth between yourself and the Irish for the last few years of who's holding the cup. So is there pressure that anything less than a final is a fail? Oh, gosh. I guess I hadn't really thought about it like that, to be honest with you. I suppose extra pressure... Uh, it means it's going to happen sometime, isn't it? At some stage, uh, England and Ireland won't be the two uh, final teams. I hope it's not this year, um, and I hope it's not us. So, you know, we just, I guess we're not really feeling that extra pressure. Nobody's talking about that pressure in between the squad. Of course, we want to go out there, we want to win it, we want to play some great football, um, and we just want to have a go and have a great time. That's, that's the main aim of the squad, really. Like I said, get a few new girls, getting the teeth at international level. Um, it's all great experience, of course, for the, the Euro champs coming up later in the year, which 
hopefully some of those girls will be involved for, for Great Britain as well. Um, but no, no, there's no, there's no additional pressure in there. Just, just the usual stuff that, that we want to go and win it. If everything goes to plan, uh, you'd probably be facing against the Irish again in the final. The Irish Banshees, as we said, have been your foes. You've met them many a times at European Championship level, IC uh, 2017, of course, for the Euro Cup. How do you feel coming up against them, considering how stronger and stronger Irish women's football's been getting? We know that they've signed, obviously, a lot of Gaelic footballers to the AFL women's competition, albeit that talent won't be stacked in the Banshee side. But how do you feel coming against a program that's just growing and growing and growing? Yeah, it, there's always um, a certain element of unpredictability when it comes to the Irish. Um, in obviously the squad that they bring, you know, I've, I've played against Irish teams, I've played against West Bay Wade, Champions League, um, and there's always, always new faces. I went over to Belfast um, for the Leprechaun Cup, and there's just always so many new girls. That you, that you meet every time you play against an Irish an Irish squad. Um, so it's just always incredibly unpredictable. And, and that's the way they play as well. You know, they play a very unpredictable brand of football, um, particularly with picking up the girls from Gaelic. Often you'll say, you'll approach it from a, you know, the Australian football point of view and you can read the game and you can read people's bodies and the way that they're moving and things. Some of our more experienced girls find that. And playing against the Irish, like I said, the unpredictable nature of the way that the girls move, their agility, the way they strike the ball just makes it um, is an extra challenge really. Um, so, so yeah, it, it is tough against the unpredictable nature of the team. Um, but, you know, we're feeling strong. You know, we're organised, um, we're experienced, we've had the luxury of having some extra training days, you know, we've had, as well as the two selection days, we've had three training games um, against the London All-Stars. So, we're feeling well prepared coming into the tournament. We've got a good coaching group um, you know, we've got a larger coaching group than we normally do. We've got Peter Woodall, um, Woods, who's, who's also assistant coach, who's got an awful lot of experience in the men's game as well. He's a very balanced individual. Um, so it's, um, yeah, we're, feel, we're feeling all right. But it is always nervy to see what potential next young gun the Irish are going to roll out at the next Euro Cup, which is, you know, last year, incredibly successful. And we look back, we felt it at the time, you know, you, you playing against some of those girls, gosh, you know, you're going to go places. You know, you're a real, real talent, and and, and they were, and, and all credit to them. They've done some great stuff, and it's you know it's really great for us to go and see. Um, you know, when I'm watching AFLW and watching some of the girls that we played against in that Euro Cup, being involved in that, it's, you know, fair play to them. And how are you feeling yourself, uh, Laura? You played uh, quite a bit of football over the years, as we know, a veteran of not only Nottingham Scorpions, the North London Lions, but of course the GB Swans, as well as the England Vixens, and yet another go again as captain at this tournament. How's the body feeling coming into the tournament? Gosh, am I a veteran now? Is that is that the <laughs> uh, the category that I've entered into? Oh, blimey. No, I, I probably am, I suppose. No, I'm feeling fine, to be honest. Uh, I've, as much as I never thought I'd hear myself say this, I am having to manage my body a little bit more. Um, nowadays than I used to. I, I used to be able to sort of back-to-back. I was high-intensity sport and activity almost every day of the week and I've had to taper down a little bit. Thankfully, we didn't have a, a London League game um, last weekend. So coming into this tournament, I'm feeling really fresh. I'm just being a bit smarter and doing some more skills stuff leading into it. Um, but you do, you have to look after yourself a little bit better and I will absolutely be feeling it on the Sunday. Um, in particular, if I, if we end up staying up till the wee hours of the morning, I uh, done up his... 3.30 in the morning in Sweden. It's going to be a very, very short, short night. So uh, so that's the, that's the target and that's the plan. I don't know if this ageing body will take me down until half three in the morning, but we'll see.
<laughs> well, Laura, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Vixens all the very best in the Euro Cup in Sweden this weekend. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate your support. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio on RSN Carnival. It's great to have on the line from London, but she's not playing for the English. She's playing for the French. It's great to have Chloe Razzo. Chloe, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad at all. I want to know about your background, Chloe, first of all. Where did you grow up? Um, So I grew up in Paris, um, and I went to uni at Paris, went to school at Paris, and then I switched to London six years ago. Before finding Aussie rules in London, of all places, what was your sporting background before then? Um, I played a bit of every sport at school, so I did some handball, but I also did rowing. Um, I've just always been quite competitive, um, lots of skiing as well. Um, So just a bit of everything, really. (laughs) When we speak to those that discover Aussie rules football uh, overseas, it's normally one of two ways. It's a case of they were a student, they came down to Australia for a while, and, oh, my God, they've discovered this sport. There's some, particularly the Americans, who used to say they were up late at night, they'd flick ESPN on, and, oh, what's this strange sport? For you, how did you discover (laughs) Aussie rules of all places in London? Uh, so um, my first, when I moved to London, my first flatmate was um, Australian. He was from Melbourne. He's a huge um, Olsen fan, and he just brought me to this um, like mixed touch AFL game that existed at the time. And uh, he just like kind of threw me in there, and I just loved it since the first day I played it. Now you've been playing for a number of years. I believe you've been playing, in fact, before the women's league actually began in London. Yeah, so we had the touch um, AFL league first because there was no... So the, the, the men's London league is quite well established for uh, several years now. Um, but there was no women's league at the time. So uh, we started by playing touch footy. Um, and then the following year, had a couple of women's exhibition games. And then the league, the women's league was eventually launched in London. So I kind of joined when that started as well. You would end up joining the Wimbledon Hawks. And, of course, we know um, uh, a few years ago they would end up taking out the uh, AFL London Women's Premiership, playing alongside the likes of, uh, first of all, through the year with Lauren Spark, who were actually from Melbourne University and, of course, would now know as a Western Bulldogs Premiership footballer. And, of course, the first player to be recruited out of the AFL London League exclusively being Kate Shearlaw, who started her Aussie Rules career over there with the Wimbledon Hawks. How did it feel playing alongside those women? Um, yeah, it was amazing to have them that year. We actually had, honestly, the whole team was exceptional, but having Sparky's experience uh, coming at the club was phenomenal. I think even the boys, she used to take a couple of boys training as well, um, and she really put a mark on the club. Um, and I think still to this year, you know, like an absolute club legend. Um, and that same year we had Chilo, which was amazing and we discovered her and like the moment we met her we're like we have to do everything we can to get her in that league so I mean really the club came together behind those two and it was just it was just lovely and to have their experience and and it's just been fantastic to have to have them in the team and at the club really. Of course, Kate would end up playing two years with the Carlton uh, AFLW side. You haven't cheekily tried to claim any credit have you of you know Kate Sheila I told her everything she knows. <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't. No, it was, it was just like it was just amazing to have them. Like, and and they, she's worked so hard to get to Carlton. It was just phenomenal to watch it as well. Um, and it was just like 
excellent memories to have when we were playing with them. So it was just like such a special year for us. Now, before we talk about playing for the French side, for your own personal football, how do you think it's improved over the last few years, particularly with the London Women's League expanding and expanding? Um, yeah, it's been amazing. So the, the French format, well, the European official format is nine aside um, uh, on the rugby pitch. Um, it's obviously kind of amended a little bit to kind of an, an oval now, but um, then having the experience of playing eight in a side and bringing that on a nine a side format has been quite interesting because it's kind of a, a slightly different game um, that what well, I'm used to play, but it's been fantastic to be able to bring some of the eight in a side and, and bring it into the nine a side, which is a little bit quicker. Um, you get maybe a bit more touches on the ball um, because the pitch is a bit um, smaller. So it's been really interesting transferring those skills both ways, actually. Um, and playing for the French is like an amazing feeling, obviously, uh, which I cherish a lot. So, um, and I, all the girls are amazing and they all have very different skills because we come from quite different backgrounds in France as well, playing footy. So it's, it's really interesting. Uh- since you didn't actually grow up playing football in France, you played your formative football years in London. Uh, how did the initial contact come between you and the French team? And, of course, you end up being selected to play and represent France. Um, so initially when we start, when they, when AFL Europe started looking at the Women's League in London, one of their intern who was supporting uh, the launch was called Gail and um, she is the one who knew a little bit about footy in France. I believe the club that had women's footy at the time was Toulouse. Um, and uh, she kind of put me in touch with the French team and coincidentally that year or the following one, I can't really remember, uh, the first Euro Cup was being played in, in London. Um, and so I kind of joined them because I was there as well and it was kind of the first tournament um, as such. So I joined them then um, and so it's thanks to Gail, really. So how do you rate the French team coming into the Euro Cup? The form's been a little bit patchy. There's been some good years when you finish third. There's some years where you haven't made it for the bronze medal playoff. Um, what's the squad been like coming into this tournament, knowing that um, the Parasite, for example, the Paris Cockerels actually had a pretty good uh, finals campaign um, in the Champions League uh, in April, uh, about a year ago in 2018? Yeah, so I think we've had a lot of changes. We've had two coaches changes this year, Um but we've had lots of amazing talent coming through um, and the girls have made a really good effort of trying to train as much as they can together this year. Um, it's not always worked out so well, but I know that they were together at ENZAC in Julia Bruton not that long ago. Um, and we've had this coach who's like new coach who's super motivated and he's had this like kind of program set up for us and all these tactics that we've all been able to like work on personally in our clubs with the support of our clubs. So I think we're going to come into this competition like super ready to get that trophy and, and, and that gold if we can. Uh, everyone's super pumped. There's a lot of really positive energy. So we're really looking forward to it. You talked about the Anzac Cup, which is an annual event played in uh, Villas Bretonneux every year on uh, April 25th. Um, in years gone by, the French team would always cop a hiding from the Australians. That wouldn't necessarily be the strongest Australian side selected. It was more about Australian players having a link uh, to uh, uh, service men and women that had served in the war. Um, this year, however, 
the French push the Aussies almost caused a boil over there in Villas Bretonneau. You must be encouraged by that. Oh, it was amazing. I think the girls have done, I, I was really sorry not to be there, but the girls have done an absolutely amazing job. Um, I think they really, I think the talent really that's come through is really pushing everyone um, and really coming together as a team. And I think the skills this year have like, in, like gone so much better. And I think they, they really gave the, the Aussies a real, um, I mean, a real scare before halftime. Um, and it was a fantastic game to watch. Um, and there's a few things to tweak. And I think after that, we'll be, the girls are going to be amazing. How's it been like trying to communicate um, between players and get a game plan together, considering everyone's fairly spread out? As you said, yourself at Wimbledon, but obviously um, the French players spread out through Bayonne, Bordeaux, Lyon, uh, Paris and uh, Anthony. Yes, I think the girls try to get as much as they can together when there's um, quite big events for the boys as in grand finals and um, like special um, you know, introduction to footy events. Um, but what I know is we've already got a calendar for next year with um, as many time as we can um, <clears throat> seeing each other and training together. So that's something that um, the new coach worked on and I think it's going to be um, next year is going to be slightly different for us because we'll have a lot more time training together. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge in the past because as you say, everyone's a bit spread out throughout clubs. But everyone is going to make an effort to train together and see each other a lot more and play a lot more, um, I think, competitions as well. Let's have a look at the sides that are playing in your pool. Uh, you've got in there England, who have not missed a final since the women's division was uh, was created back in 2013. The Swedish Ravens, who've had uh, finished, I think, third the last couple of years. And also the Swiss Heidis, who are a new team, so they're very hard to predict what they're going to do. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think the English is always interesting, especially for me, because some of these girls are my teammates. So um, always, always going to be a good crack trying to like beat them. Um, I think we've played England a few times now. We know what to expect and how they're going to play. So I think we're super ready for that. Um, Swedish Ravens have always beaten us by only a few points. Um, and I think this year uh is going to be our year. So I'd say to the Swedish Ravens to watch out. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, Switzerland, I don't know. I, I don't know the players yet. I'm not sure who this team is really new. So um, I'm assuming it's going to be more of an experience thing for them. But um, hopefully they can put their skills on display for, for the tournament and um, give us a good game too. Who are some of the players to look out for in the French squad this weekend? We know you're missing one of your big guns. Uh, Colin Decay, of course, is currently in Australia at the moment, living here, playing for West Brunswick yeah. in the VAFA. <laughs> um, who do you expect to step up for the French squad this weekend? Um, we've got Aralaya, who's uh, coming from rugby. She's, she's a fantastic player. She's very quick, very, very good to get out of very tricky situations, uh, very successful in tackles as well. And uh, obviously we've got Camille, who's um, she knows the game. She can read the game really well. She's played for years for the French team. Um, and Delphine as well, who's come through this year, and she's fantastic, uh, can read the game really well as well. And I think she's, she's got great speed on her. So um, I think there's three players to watch out this year.
So after the Euro Cup, the thing we'll be all looking forward to, because the Euro Cup normally played in October, is being played in late June this year to make way for the uh, uh, once every three years European Championship, which is the 18-a-side tournament being held in London this year. Uh, what, what's the thinking around the French at the moment? Are the French going to aim to have a crack at putting in an 18-a-side team, or are they looking to form the European Crusaders again and looking to pull players from elsewhere? Um, I think if... If I haven't had this chat with the coach yet, but I'm sure that if we can, we'd try to put a French side and 18 aside because I think ultimately that's the goal for every every country really. Um, but yeah, it would be wonderful to have a French 18 aside side uh, for this competition and enter as such. Uh, but if all else fails, I'm sure we'd probably try to have a Crusaders team. But I'm pretty confident, given the numbers recently, that we can put that team together for the French. Well, Chloe, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the French all the very best in Sweden this weekend in the 2019 AFL Euro Cup. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now, that concludes our edited preview of the women's teams participating in the AFL Europe Niner-side Euro Cup tournament to be played in Naratali, Sweden, this Saturday. To hear the interviews in full, go later tonight to the rsn.net.au website just look for programs then click on women's australian rules football to be able to download the podcast with the extended interviews or tomorrow just go onto spotify soundcloud apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and search for women's australian rules football radio again to hear those interviews in full before we get to our state leagues wrap let's just quickly check in with the international women's footy scores we had to quickly pass on our afl london women's league report for this week because simply we're just well and truly over time we can tell you just quickly in the women's premiership two games were played back on the 15th of june the southeast london giants went down to the wandsworth demons 61 to zip while on the weekend on the 21st uh, the west london wildcats 39 defeated the southeast london giants 13. Uh, we've got women's premiership division football coming up in AFL London this weekend on the 29th of June. The North London Lions play host the Wandsworth Demons at Bounds Green, while the Wimbledon Hawks play host to the West London Wildcats at Hackney Marshes. Heading across to the AFL Ontario women's competition in Canada. Round 5 played over the weekend with the Hamilton Wildcats 4-8-32 defeated the Etobicoke Kangaroos 2-2-14 and the Ottawa Swans 8-10-58 defeated the High Park Demons 4-1-25. The Central Blues having the bye. And over in the US in Des Moines, it was the 80-35 tournament. Three women's sides taking part, including the Minnesota Freeze, the Chicago Swans, and the Denver Lady Bulldogs. The tournament taken out by the Minnesota Freeze. Stick around. On the other side of this break, we'll have our State Leagues wrap. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org.
It's time for our State League's wrap. Let's begin, first of all, by quickly checking out the scores from the WAFL Women's Competition. Round 7 played over the weekend. East Fremantle 2-4-16 went down to Subiaco 5-6-36, while Claremont 4-3-27 were defeated by Swan Districts 6-5-41. Round 8 action is this Sunday, the 30th of June, when East Fremantle play host to Swan Districts 2pm at New Choice Homes Park, while Peel Thunder host Claremont 2pm at David Gray's Arena. And joining us on the line now to take a look at Game 2 of the Queensland Women's Winter Series between the Brisbane Lions and Gold Coast Suns. We've got on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. I'm just thinking whether it might be a slightly warmer up in Queensland than what we're having down here in Melbourne at the moment. Uh, oh, it, it's a, it's a little bit warmer, I assume. I, I don't really know what temperatures you guys are getting down there, but I'm certainly getting around with a, a sweater and you know a pair a pair of chinos. But you know, it's it's nothing too extreme up here. It's quite good. Well, you actually had to head up further north to find a, a game of women's footy this weekend. Game two between the Lions and Suns was played up at Great Barrier Reef Arena in Mackay. Yeah, it was obviously nice for both teams to get on the road and. I suppose try something a little bit different, and um, especially for the sun to you know probably a little bit more unfamiliar uh, with those sort of trips this early on. But um, obviously Brisbane, as you'd probably expect, came away with a strong win. Um, although I kind of feel that the score in these games is, is probably the most irrelevant thing. Almost, it's really just an opportunity for both teams to you know trial some new players. Um, that aren't on their AFLW list, that you know, from from the Quaffle W and um, also um, from the under eighteen state program in the in their academies, and um, also for their um, current listed players to to just have a bit of a refresher, um, still be around the same people, and um, maybe you know try a different position out, um, that kind of thing. So. You know, in in windy conditions, probably Brisbane, obviously, were the better team. But um, I think there was plenty of good signs for Gold Coast to, you know, like I said, got to have a look at a few more players and, um, you know, really start to build that list ahead of next season. Uh, the final score in that game, uh, 32-13. to 13. Uh, That is uh, 4-8-2-1. You're mentioning about players playing in different positions. So first of all, start with the Brisbane Lions. Uh, Jess Wuchner actually starting in the back pocket. Yeah, she, she's kind of spent a little bit of time um, kind of in the back half at both uh, Quaffle W level with Cooper and, and also with the Lions throughout the winter series. And I was talking with Craig Stasevich a bit after the first game and um, he kind of likes it just to, you know, freshen the players up. Obviously, a player like Walsh, who's played three seasons now of AFLW footy um, in the forward line, it just gives their brain a bit of a refresher, um, lets them try something new and, um, obviously, Wush is talented as she is. She plays the position really well. So it's kind of a win for all parties. And um, yeah, she, she performed really well up in Mackay. Obviously, her ball use is one of her strengths. And coming out of that defensive 50, you know, really held the Lions in good stead. On the Suns side of the equation, at least for the first half, uh, Kalinda Howworth uh, started down in defence. And for a bit of a flip, Sam Virgo started down in the forward line. Yeah, I, I kind of find that found that a bit surprising. Um, obviously, just because um, given her form with Bond and, and last year with Yoronga, um, Howarth was was really kind of that hit up forward and um, you know crafty around 
congestion and um, and then burst away. So I found it interesting um, that she lined up in the back line, as you said, but um, obviously David Lake has, has something in mind and um, she switched with Virgo, who, you know, I thought that change was um, probably less unorthodox. Um, her starting in the forward line, obviously spending a fair bit of time on a wing and through the midfield for Yoronga. So um, that's probably not too dissimilar. Um but obviously, you know, moving them back to kind of their traditional positions, I suppose, in that second half. And that's really where the Suns kind of got a little bit of a kick, uh, a little bit of a kick on um, after that main break. So I don't know what you can read out of that. Maybe they are suited to their, their usual positions. But uh, I don't know. Lake probably has something in mind for, for both of them when he, you know, trials them um, in kind of dissimilar positions. Some of the better players in the game have actually been running around in the VFLW. I point out Ali Anderson, who's been running around for Essendon. She, of course, wore the Lions jumper on the weekend. And Sally Riley, who's been running around for the NT Thunder, of course, will be playing for the Suns uh, come this AFLW 2020. Yeah, like Ali, um, obviously she she plays for Cooperoo, but I think uh, a bit like Wush in that position sense, Ali just wanted to, to try something different just to refresh her football brain a little bit. So she, she head on down. I think she must have been living with Taylor Harris down there for a couple of weeks playing for us and in the VFLW. Um, so obviously she's got some good experience there and, and kind of um, brought that back up. It was her first game back up in Queensland uh, since the end of the AFLW season, I think. So uh, good to have her back and hopefully something really good came from those experiences. For the Suns, probably a bit to work on for them as they build to their inaugural AFLW season. I guess some pleasing signs with this victory for the Brisbane Lions, considering everyone feared the worst for them after they were being gutted over the last two years for talent. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I, I feel like up here in Queensland, um, both teams, and I certainly am, are kind of confident in, in the talent being produced at state league level and um, through our state programs, I feel like we're really one of the, the strongest uh, female performing states in a sense. So um, obviously, you know, Brisbane lost quite a few players over the summer, but um, I feel like they will be able to um, kind of recover from those losses, I suppose, uh, this coming season. And I think the, the winter series um, really is a good way for, for the Lions, especially to, to have a look at some of those players that will hopefully fill the void and um, join the team via the draft later in the year. Let's look ahead to the QAFLW competition. It returns this weekend with uh, round 10. And uh, we've got Friday night football, 7pm at Leishon Park. And talk about a big game. Yoronga South Brisbane taking on Cooperoo. Yeah, I think these two teams, obviously, you know, pretty formidable uh, rivals going back a couple of years um, when women's footy really started kicking off in Queensland. Um, they they play out of Friday night and uh, it is a big fixture obviously for Yoronga who are still level with Bond on the ladder um, they're, they're pretty firmly rooted in the top kind of couple of teams I'd imagine but I think the, the game uh, probably bears a bit more uh, significance for Cooperoo who uh, you know they've had a couple of really really good performances this year but they haven't been able to string them together whether that be through selection and availability or uh, you know, other factors, it, it kind of hasn't, uh, the consistency hasn't been there for them this year. So the massive, massive contest for them. And, you know, if they can win, they, they enter, you know, a host of teams, Colin Gaddy, UQ, Richard, all in those five wins. So they're, they're around the mix, but in a top four, uh, competition, 
Cooper who sits six. It's just a massive game for them. Three games on the Saturday, June 29th. Uh, first of all, 12.15pm at Hickey Park. It's the Wilston Grange Gorillas playing host to the Apsley Hornets. Yeah, now two teams that, uh, well, they're, they're down the kind of lower ends of the ladder, but, you know, this weekend's really a good chance for both teams to, I suppose, reignite their seasons in a way. Obviously, Aspley have joined the comp this year, um, and, you know, their young team has, has kind of struggled a bit, especially on the scoreboard. Um, and also for Wilson Grange, who, um, you know, lost a, a lot of players from their premiership team last year. It really is. Uh, a good opportunity for both teams to reassert themselves, get a bit of you know momentum heading into the back end of the season, and kind of see what happens from there. So I'm excited to see how that pans out. I probably I, I, I do quite like Aspley. Um, I know they they have struggled on the scoreboard, but I, I think they might get an upset this week. 3.45pm at Bond University. It is the battle of the universities, the Bull Sharks versus the UQ Red Lions. Well. The Brightings probably a bit on the wall for, for UQ a little bit. They're in a, a good vein of form, obviously, put up triple figures against Astley, um before the week off two weeks ago. And they face Bond, who just have been head and shoulders above the rest, really, um, so far this year. So you'd, you'd probably tip Bond in this one. But, you know, just watching their game against uh, Maruchador a fortnight ago, you know, they weren't that... Uh, eye-catching, I suppose. And, you know, if UQ are on, they really have been this hot and cold team so far this year. If they're on, um, you know, there's not many teams that, that will stop them. So, if you know, if they get that fast start, then they could get an upset. But I think Bond, are, I don't know, just talent, talent. There's just so much of it there, and I probably expect them to get a win there. And finally, 4.45pm at Maroochydore Multisports Complex. The Roos play host to the Coolangatta Tweed Bluebirds. Now this, uh, it, it, I suppose at this time of the season, every game's a massive one, but I really feel for these two teams, it really um, does bear a lot of significance. And when you look at the ladder with Cooley um, and Maroochydore, with five wins, four losses, um, in kind of that logjam, UQ's there as well. And obviously Cooper, who won game back it, Games like these, when you can kind of make that little buffer um, against the teams you're jostling with, um, really do, you know, a win really does pay dividends in the grand scheme of the season. So um, uh, who knows which way this game will go. Maruchador really did take it to Bond a fortnight ago, but just couldn't capitalise on their opportunities inside 50. And Cool and Gattatui, they're a bit like UQ. They started the season so well. Dropped off a bit. I think they've only won one of their past four games. So they're in a little bit of trouble, but still sitting nicely in third. So if they can get a win here, their season's reignited. And, you know, finals looks like a genuine uh, possibility for them. But I I really don't know who, who you're back in this one. It's too close to tell, I think. Well, Anne, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round 10 of the QAFLW.
Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Checking in on the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition. Round 8 played over the weekend. Gungarland Jets no score. Went down to Ainsley Tricolors 14-12-96. Tuggeranong Hawks no score. Went down to Balcona Magpies 9-10-64. Well, the Quimbian Tigers 10-11-71 defeated the Eastlake Demons one behind. Looking ahead to round 9 action on Saturday 29th of June 3.45pm at Allen Ray Oval. Ainsley Tricolors play host to the Eastlake Demons 3.45pm on Saturday at Greenway Oval. Tuggeranong Hawks play host to the Gungarland Jets. While 3.45pm on Sunday at Allenshaw Park, the Quimbian Tigers play host to the Balconnen Magpies. Having a look at the Tasmanian State League women's competition, round eight played over the weekend on Friday night. Lauderdale didn't get on the scoreboard, going down to Glenorchy, 27-19-181. On the Sunday, Clarence 5-2-32 were beaten by Launceston, 6-9-45. While the Tigers 4-3-27 went down to North Launceston in a close one for 10-34. Looking ahead to the round nine fixture on Saturday, 5 p.m. at Utah Stadium, North Launceston play host to Clarence. Sunday, 12 p.m. at Lauderdale Sports Ground, Lauderdale play host to Launceston. While 12:30 p.m. at KGV, Glenorchy play host to the Tigers. And joining us on the line down here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at round 10 of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, we've got on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good thanks, Peter. How are you? Thawed out after a frozen weekend here in Melbourne. Let's see what happened up there in Sydney. Uh, round 10 football. Uh, the Sydney Uni Bombers continue on their winning ways. 12-10-82, uh, defeating the Newtown Breakaways. Just one straight six. Yeah, look, uh, it's another big loss for the breakaways. They still haven't uh, been able to get on the winners list. Um, but look, they they got on a scoreboard, which they haven't always managed to do this season. Uh, Sheeran was a solitary goal kicker for the breakaways and was also their their, their best player. Um, but look, Sydney and he got off to an, an okay start, a little bit quiet. Uh, only three goals, two in the first in Newtowns and one goal, uh, but then they kicked away um, in the second, kicking 4-4 of their own and uh, yeah, obviously just continued with that. Um, the goal kickers for Bombers, Laverne with four, Gillen and McDonald with two, and uh, Hay, McCormick, Mathers and Kenny all chipped in for one each. And uh, look, Sydney Uni, when they're, when they're at their best, um, they're definitely up there contending for the Premiership. But uh, yeah, Definitely not an enjoyable season for the breakaways, Peter. The Southern Power just scored the three behinds against the East Coast Eagles, who racked up 13-7-85. Yeah, look, I think the Power were a bit uh, shell-shocked by the Eagles in that first quarter. Uh, Power didn't get on the scoreboard until the second quarter, and Eagles kicked 7-1-43 in the first. Uh, Look, Power shut them down a little bit in that second quarter. But, uh, yeah, look, when you start with 43 to, to none in the first, it's always going to be tough going uh, there. Um, McGartland continues to great form in uh, the Premier Division women's kicking three up front for the Eagles. And Emily Hurley was also good with uh, three of her own, as I said, for the Eagles. Um, Renee Tompkins uh, was amongst the best for uh, the Eagles as she was uh, not playing for uh, the Giants v, uh, VFLW. Uh, side. So look, the Eagles are just, as I said, we've, I think we say this every week, Peter, but uh, they're certainly showing that uh, they're going to be one of the contenders for this year's premiership in their inaugural season. 
the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 2-113 went down to the UTS Bats 8-452. Yeah, so uh, look, even though there was, I think, just a, uh, what was it, 39 points in this, it was actually the closest game uh, of the round, Peter, and uh, perhaps a little bit of a surprise. To be honest, I thought the result might have been uh, a, a closer margin, but with the Bulldogs uh, winning, and look, the Bulldogs are probably been a bit inconsistent this season. Obviously, they've had a uh, couple of injuries. Um, look, their goal kickers were Ross and Beerman, and uh, Bean, oh, the both of the Beans for uh, the bats. Um, are certainly playing well and, and we're in amongst the goals this week. But uh, look, the, the Bats will be having their best season uh, since they were promoted to Premier Division a couple of years ago or three seasons ago. So, um, yeah, they're, they're playing some really good footy, Peter. But as I said, the Bulldogs have just been a bit inconsistent. And the Inner West Magpies, one straight six, went down to Macquarie University, 14-13-97, meaning this round, not a single home side won a game. Yeah, look, that's not often that you see that, Peter. So it's uh, some, some good trivia there. Uh, look, the, the Inner West Magpies, a little bit like the breakaways this year, um, obviously not having a, a good time of it um, with the wins. They do have wins on the board. Um, but, yeah, look, they've just not been able to hit the scoreboard against these um, top sides. Uh, the West Solitary goal came in, in the second quarter. Um, and that getting of just really consistent throughout the game, uh, you know, they had 3-2 in the first quarter, so a slowish start and just steadily built on from that. Uh, Freckleton was the solitary goal kicker for the Magpies, whilst um, Brighton was really strong up forward for the Warriors, kicking uh, six of their 14 goals. So, um, yeah, I think we're seeing Mac Uni and uh, East Coast Eagles definitely being the, uh, the two contenders at this stage, followed closely by Sydney Uni. Let's look ahead to round 11 clashes. We begin at Cambridge Oval, 11.40am on Saturday with the East Coast Eagles play host to the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, I think it's not going to be an enjoyable uh, game for the Breakaways, um, particularly, uh, you know, it's probably made a little bit worse given that the Eagles are playing at home and are uh, going to have that home ground and, and supporters' advantage. Um, and I think it might be another uh, another big margin Saturday, 1pm at Pickin Oval, the Inner West Magpies by host of the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, look, this could be an interesting one. As the Wasps, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times, West aren't having a great year. The Bulldogs are uh, inconsistent. Um, and, you know, they, uh, they're they not always playing um, their best. So, look, I think it'll be a close one, but I think the Bulldogs uh, will just get over the line. Saturday, 1.30pm at Mac Uni, the Warriors play host to the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, this is probably the game of the round, tipping the Warriors. And finally, 1.30pm Saturday at Waratah Oval, the Southern Power versus the UTS Bats. Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting. This round we've probably got, uh, at least on paper, a few close results expected. And, uh, you know, over the last three years, uh, the Bats and Power have had some really close games. Uh, and I'm going to tip the power on this one. So, uh, look, hopefully we do get the opposite of last, uh, you know, the weekend where we had a lot of um, big margins, and I think we're going to get a lot of close ones this week, Peter. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to your company next week when we review another round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. 
And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival to review another round of Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Football. Round 7 was played over the weekend and we've got on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Very well, Pete. Uh, another big weekend that threw up some interesting results, some smashings as well. Um, yeah, another big weekend of Swiss Wellness VFLW action to dissect. Let's first of all begin by heading out to GMHBA Stadium where Geelong 8856 had a comfortable win over the Casey Demons, 4327. Yeah, Casey, as I said on the weekend, they've been a little hard to read this season for one reason or another. They've got a lot of their younger Melbourne players currently um, running out onto the park for them. And it's just throwing a little inconsistency in their season. They've been competitive in most matches, but this one was fairly one-sided, the way of the Cats, who uh, finally uh, have hit the go button by the looks of things. Uh, a dominant result for them on the weekend. Four kick three goals for Geelong. Benham two, Cranston, Crockett Grills and Vanderhoevel were the other goal kickers for them on the weekend. For Casey, Cordner, Emerson, Johnson and Speedy were the goal kickers. Their four goals there coming. Uh, 56% of the possession went the way of the Cats on the weekend, so they got a fair bit of the footy. The leading, leading disposal getter on the ground was Amy McDonald for Geelong, racking up 25 touches. Garring also racked up 23 touches, laid 12 tackles as well. A great effort from her. Uh, Maddie Guerin was the leading possession getter for the KC Demons with 19 disposals and seven tackles. Let's head across to Morwell, where Collingwood, 13-5-83, crushed the Western Bulldogs, 1-3-9. Yeah, doing the regional rounds by the, the looks of things, starting in Geelong and then heading across to Morwell. But this was a comprehensive smashing. Two weeks in a row, the Magpies have done the job convincingly. And uh, for the Western Bulldogs, similar to Casey, they started the season well. They were... Uh, Running in as uh, undefeated a couple of weeks ago, the Western Bulldogs, they've just hit a little bit of a, a hurdle at the moment. They had a, a fairly strong side selected on the weekend, although I noticed that Ellie Blackburn and Brooke Lachland were in the selected lineups. Their only goal came during the third quarter, thanks to Dundon. Um, as I said, they only had four scoring shots in total, so a really disappointing outing for the Western Bulldogs. Collingwood are really starting to assert themselves as one of the dominant sides of the VFLW in 2019, and that's hard to believe after their round one performance and also coming out of the AFLW season. I don't think too many would have predicted that the black and white stripes would be up the top of the ladder. Being led again by Jamie Lambert, kicked Four goals on the weekend in addition to her 26 touches, five marks and five tackles. An out-and-out star, Jamie Lambert is. And if she's not leading the best and fairest, the uh, Lambert-Pierce medal from uh, off the top of my head for the 2019 season as the best player in the VFLW, I'll go here because she has been on fire. Livingston, Stacey Livingston was thrown up forward again in this match. We saw it um, a couple of weeks ago at Preston City Oval where she spent time forward of centre. Traditionally a, a defender in Collingwood's side. She kicked three goals on the weekend. Sharni Layton continues her uh, impressive form. Two games into her VFLW career. Had 15 disposals on the weekend. Kicked three goals too. Took five, uh, sorry, three marks, laid seven tackles, and had two hitouts as 
uh, well, sorry, I've just read Stacey Livingston's stats there for you. 13 hitouts. Uh, Shani Layton had four tackles and five marks in addition to her two goals straight. So an impressive performance again from Shani Layton. Shelvin also kicked two. Casey and Lynch, the other goal kickers for Collingwood. The leading possession getter on the ground for the Western Bulldogs. You have to go down a long way to Bailey Hunt, who just had 13 touches on the weekend. And that's because the match statistics went heavily in favour of Collingwood. 62% of the possession went their way to just 38% for the Western Bulldogs. A real trying day for the doggies down in Morwell. Now, of course, you said Jamie Lambert may be in contention for the Lambert Pierce, pardon me, for the, uh, uh, for the best and fairest. Um, but if you take a look at the Rowena Young medal, which is the leading goal kick, she leads at the moment on 13 goals, three clear of Tyler Stahl from Richmond. That, that's incredible. That is incredible. Could she do the double? Could she do the double? I reckon she's a fair chance to at the moment because she's been playing uh, mostly in the midfield throughout the games that we've seen, but she's also floated forward and played that almost third forward role on occasions for Collingwood. So um, fair chance to be able to do that. It just I depends think- on how much uh, match how many matches that she plays for the remainder of the season as part of the AFL Bovey management. That would be the only concern. Absolutely. I should say uh, Taylor Store, not Taylor Store. Pardon the slip of the tongue there. At Box Hill City Oval, Hawthorne 2-2-14 were defeated by the Southern Saints 2-5-17. Yeah, this was a real arm wrestle. Looking at some of the statistics, very close uh, when it comes to kicks and handballs, 154 to 147 kicks in favour of the Southern Saints. Handballs 100 to 98 in favour of the Southern Saints. Hawthorne, interestingly, took uh, more marks, 50 to 37. Uh, the, the tackles were similar. Everything was, was largely the same until you get down to the inside 50s, 45 to 15 in favour of the Southern Saints. So they had a lot more opportunity did uh, the, the Saints in their forward half of the ground, but couldn't capitalise. It took them until the second term uh, to get their first goal, and it was late in the second term that they got the first goal on the board. The Hawks didn't get a major until the final term where they kicked their two goals. So this was a real tight affair between two sides of the competition that I'm expecting will be there or thereabouts come season's end. Uh, The Southern Saints putting together a very consistent season to date. Hawthorne just beginning to find some form that we're disappointed not to get the result on home soil on the weekend. No doubt Paddy Hill will get his troops ready for next week. Gilda McWilliams with the two goal pickers for Hawthorne. Uh, Fiona Spirit and Kate Shearlaw, whose goal came late in the game, uh, I believe, uh, to secure the victory for the Southern Saints on the weekend. Their only goal kick is there. Tilly Lucas-Rod was again amongst the dispo- uh, possession getters on the weekend with 25 touches, three marks and also laid four tackles. Jade Van Dyke stood tall for Hawthorne with 21 touches, uh, one mark and three tackles. As we look to what was our match of the round on Saturday, Darabin and Williamstown both were fighting for their first win of the season. Williamstown had control for the first quarter and a half and then Darabin turned it all around and won 4-7-31 to 1-5-11. And you can tell that uh, not only from obviously witnessing the game, but looking at the score sheet as well. The, the Seagulls were leading it 
quarter time. Both had one scoring shot apiece. Darabin, just the minor score. Williamstown with uh, their only goal of the day. It turned out to be through merit. Um, then the Darabin Falcons worked their way on top, uh, finishing with four goals on the weekend. Samara David, uh, Honeyman, Kennedy and Lauren Pierce were their goal kickers on the weekend. A good bounce back from Darabin after a poor performance the week prior against Collingwood. Um, they'll be a, a little happier, albeit it's against one of the other bottom sides of the competition, but they needed to get that done just to... Get some momentum into the season. Williamstown, as we've said uh, for a majority of the season to date, they are a very young side. And uh, again, just looking for encouraging uh, signs to come out of the games on the weekend. Uh, not sure what they could take out of the weekend's performance, uh, apart from the fact that they controlled the first quarter, but they probably should have capitalised more than what they did. Moana Hope was again amongst the leading disposal getters on the weekend. In fact, she was clearly out in front with 27 touches on the weekend, 22 kicks, five handballs, also laid four tackles for Williamstown. Lauren Pierce, a dominant performance from her. Not only did she have 15 touches in addition to her goal, but also had 44 hitouts in total for the weekend. So an incredibly dominant performance from Lauren Pierce, not only in the ruck, but right around the ground. And in the final game of the round, boy, Essendon don't like going up to Darwin. They got touched up there last year, and it happened again this year. NT Thunder, 12-4-76. Essendon, 1-6-12. Yeah, interestingly, though, the stats don't read uh, that way. If I take a look at them, obviously it took until the third quarter for Essendon to register a score, but the possession in this game was split 51-49, to 49, so fairly even. The disposals, yes... The Northern Territory Thunder had 19 more kicks. Essendon had uh, 11 more handballs. The marks were fairly even. So were the tackles, the inside 50s. Not much of a difference, 28 to 19 in favour of the Thunder. Six difference uh, in favour of the Thunder for inside 50. So not a completely dominant performance in terms of ball in hand, but it just ended up being scoreboard pressure. The Northern Territory Thunder more efficient going uh, forward of centre. Ponta kicked three for them on the weekend. Thompson also kicked three. DeMello kicked two. Hewitt kicked two. Hickey and Stretter the other goal kickers, whilst Maureen was the only goal scorer for the Bombers. And they'll be disappointed because they ended up having... Uh, that's five scoring shots in the final term by the looks of things on the weekend. Most of them were behind, so they could have made the margin a little more respectable than what it was, the Bombers, which they'll be very disappointed about. The one thing they will be happy with was that uh, Nance Cowan, Georgia Nance Cowan, was the leading disposal getter on the ground with 22 touches, laid four tackles. Uh, Hayley Bullis was also up there for the Bombers with 16 touches, laid eight tackles on the weekend. Lisa Roberts back in the Thunder side uh, also racked up 16 touches on the weekend. Now, Richmond and Carlton had the bye for the round. So did Melbourne University. However, they took part in a VFLW Invitational match against the GWS Giants. They elected to rest all their AFLW talent. And unfortunately, it showed on the scoreboard Melbourne University, one straight six, went down to the GWS Giants, 15-14-104. Yeah, I, I don't know whether you can read too much into this game after being there on Sunday afternoon at Tin Alley. The ground was a, a, a muddy mess. 
uh, I think would be the only way of describing it. As you mentioned, the Melbourne University lineup didn't have too many familiar names as part of it. They were relying on some key players that we're familiar with in terms of uh, yeah, Kira Price. Um, we've seen Hay a few times. Whitford was in there. Uh, Angela Sard, who have had consistent games throughout the year as well. But beyond that, it was a very, um, I suppose, daffer side where their reserves play that, that lined up for Melbourne University. And it was a great opportunity for them, uh, for those players that don't often get a state league level opportunity to go up against uh, some AFLW talent and, and ex- get some experience playing against a, an elite opposition. But beyond that, I don't think you could take too much away for the muggers in the match. On the flip side of the coin, the GWS Giants, yes, it was a dominant victory, but you've also got to assess the opposition that they were up against on the weekend. It wasn't anywhere near uh, a side that uh, would be competitive against uh, an AFLW club, let alone a VFLW club. So you're just going to take it with a grain of salt, this result. Having said that, Beck Privatelli was impressive again, kicking four goals on the weekend, taking some great contesting marks contested marks and creating presence inside 50. Amy Schmidt kicked three goals, that forward dynamic along with Privatelli and also Louise Stevenson who kicked the goal on the weekend was very impressive watching that unfold. Uh, Elise Parker, Jody Hicks, uh, Britt Perry, Lauren Horton, uh, Hannon Zareka all kicked single goals while Jess Allen, one of their tall standout players, also kicked two goals on the weekend for the GWS Giants. The only goal kicker for Melbourne University was Katie Angelus. Um, that goal coming in the third term from memory. But, uh, yeah, a dirty day for Melbourne University. As I said before, you can't read too much into the result, uh, although it has been a fairly inconsistent start to the year. So they're hoping, I think, to find some consistency over the, the coming weeks for the Muggers. The Giants, they've got another little break now until their next game against Essendon. And uh, I reckon they'll be fairly pleased with how their invitational series is going today. Three Three wins from their three matches. Let's have a look ahead to round eight in the VFL women's uh, fixture. This Saturday, 29th of June at 11am at Icon Park, it's Carlton versus Geelong. And should also point out, it's the halfway point of the season. Hard to believe that we're already there, round eight of of 16 in the home and away season. Um, This should be a fairly good game between these two sides. Geelong, as we mentioned before, of found a little bit of form um, after their their buy a couple of weeks ago and are starting to get some of their standout AFLW talent back in that side. Carlton, similar. Um, I I think it will come down to how much experience lines up both of these sides because we have seen when they have gone in quite young and inexperienced that they don't seem to get the, the result that they want. Going to lean the way of the Cats purely because of last week's result against Casey, but I wouldn't be surprised if Carlton are able to get up. And, of course, a big game for them both. I think Geelong sitting on two wins uh, for the year so far. Carlton on one. Carlton need to win to keep in touch with the pack while Geelong can really start to force themselves just to the edge of the top six if they can get that victory. Weemstown versus the NT Thunder at Downer over Weemstown, 11.30am Saturday. It's the bottom place Seagulls versus the fourth place Thunder. Thunder win and get some percentage up. That really starts to cement their spot in the top half of the table. Weemstown looking for some respect. Yeah, and 
I, I think what, the, the way you put it then for the Thunder, they, they really do need to win this game by a healthy margin if they are to be deemed one of the top sides of the competition. We know they've had issues in terms of uh, player uh, retention coming in and out of the side. They've had uh, between, I think, six and ten changes the last couple of weeks uh, with various commitments to their players. It's hard for them because they are on the road every every other week um, flying down. There's players that are coming from across the territory to play for that, in addition to some of those based in South Australia. So it is difficult for them to get a consistent side on the park. Uh, having said that, they are still one of the more skillful sides of the competition and should be there or thereabouts come the end of the year. I do expect them to get the job done. The the interesting uh, aspect of this game will be whether the weather plays a role. At the moment, I think the forecast is looking okay, but we know in Melbourne that can change. Um, So that might bring it back a touch in favour of the Seagulls, who, as you said, they just need to build some respect. They need to be competitive. um, And even if that's not reflected on the scoreboard, um, they just need to to play possession footy, if you like, and and stop the run and carry from the Thunder, who do like to to score and and can score fairly freely when they don't have much of an opposition. Tipping the Thunder by five or six goals in this game. One win at the moment separates the Western Bulldogs and Hawthorne. They meet at VU Witten Oval this Saturday at 12pm. Yeah, I would expect Hawthorne to come out firing in this game. I'm I get the sense that, yes, okay, they've they've had an interesting start to the year, that patchy start, if you like, and I don't think that would be sitting well with Paddy Hill, their senior coach down there. I think it's time for them to to, to fire up and, and get this season going if they're a genuine chance for the Premiership. They should win this game. It should be by a healthy margin. Um, the Western Bulldogs, they've been one of the top sides of the competition so far in 2019. But again, their form has been a little hard to read. will again depend on who they select in the side, but I'm tipping Hawthorne uh, by probably three or four goals. In this next match, Saturday, 12pm, being played at uh, Trevor Barker Beach Oval. The Southern Saints versus Darabin. This is second versus second last. Both sides coming off a win last week. For the Southern Saints, if they win this game, considering Collingwood has the bye, they'll be equal top of the table, possibly behind just on percentage. And they could make that percentage up in my mind this weekend because uh, the Southern Saints, have, they're one of the more structured sides of the competition along with Collingwood. Everyone seems to know their role out on the field. They can play that role uh, incredibly well. It is funny because... It's a, a very young side, and, and when you look at the Darabin Falcons lineup, it too is fairly young. It's fairly inexperienced when it comes to state league level football. Yes, the Southern Saints have a few more experienced heads, and, and some that have played AFLW. But um, geez, uh, it, it's, there's two different paths going on here. The, the Southern Saints striving for the AFLW program, Darabin um, just uh, struggling at, at the moment. Their win on the weekend will be a relief, but I don't think it's going to get too much easier for them. I think the Southern Saints are going to get the job done and and fairly uh, convincingly as well. Uh, should be interesting if Lauren Arnell lines up the Darabin Falcons coming up against a few of her old Southern Saints teammates who she played with last year. Looking ahead to Sunday at Queen Elizabeth Oval in Bendigo. We'll be on air at 12pm for a 1pm bounce down on Sunday, 30th of June. Richmond and the Casey Demons 
This match is third versus sixth. Richmond are hot on the heels of the Southern Saints and Collingwood at the top of the table. The Casey Demons are starting to feel the heat. They've got behind them Melbourne Uni and Hawthorne, who both have winnable games. Casey must win to hold sixth spot. Yeah, and I get I get the impression with with Casey. Um, I don't know whether they're I don't know whether they're in that pack. Um, this, this will be a big test for them uh, this weekend. It'll be interesting to see where they they end up and how close they can get to Richmond. I think Richmond will win. It's a matter of by how much, uh, in, in my opinion. But for Casey, if they drop this and drop it by a significant margin, then I think, despite their early season form, uh, I don't think they're a genuine threat in the competition this year. Uh, probably going on that a little early and uh, probably a little hard to say, but I've just, I'm just i not convinced uh, with what I've seen from Casey on the occasions that we've caught them so far this year. Richmond, uh, the only other previous time I've seen them was in their GWS Invitational game, which they lost. It's their only blemish for the year. But uh, we know that the side was vastly different to the one that's been running out onto the park in recent weeks. And they're, they're probably going under the radar just a touch at the moment. I think Collingwood's captured the attention of the competition. The Southern Saints have been there or thereabouts. I think Richmond are the, are the sleeping giant here, along with Hawthorne. They're probably the two other, they're probably the two sides that can take it at the moment to the Southern Saints and Collingwood. So looking forward to this game. Richmond should win. Um, It's just a matter of by how much. And finally, Sunday, 2.30pm at Melbourne University Main Oval, otherwise known as Tin Alley. The Muggers versus Essendon. Both sides coming off big losses, as we said. Essendon getting thrashed up in Darwin. Melbourne Uni, albeit without their AFLW players, losing in that practice match to the Giants. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting for uh, Essendon to return from uh, the lush green park of TIO Stadium to the, the mud bowl of the Tin Alley currently is. So the Muggers should be a little more adjusted to those conditions. Um, they should win, again, a, a bit like Casey in, in a way for me, that Melbourne University. I think they, they need a really strong standout performance this weekend to, to establish themselves in the competition, but I'm not entirely confident that that's going to happen, um, just depending on player availability. I think the Bombers, they'll have a, a burning sensation in their gut after their performance on the weekend against the Northern Territory Thunder, and I think they will come out with all guns blazing. Melbourne University should be too classy, but again, I'm not convinced. Should be a good game. And the latter leaders, Collingwood, having the buy in round eight. Coxie, thank you very much again for your company here on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. We look forward to your company on the weekend with some more footy action and next Wednesday at 6pm right here on Women's Australian Rules Football. Yeah, no, looking forward to another big weekend, Pete. Just make sure you get the team sheet in the right order this week. And a reminder, the two games we'll have for you on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and the VFL app this weekend include Saturday at 10 a.m., Carlton versus Geelong at Icon Park, courtesy of the GoFooty.live team. And then on Sunday at 12pm, we present Richmond versus the Casey Demons at the QEO in Bendigo. Again, you can listen via RSN Carnival 2, which is digital radio in Melbourne, via the WARFradio.com website and via the VFL app.
So until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival 1, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company and it's bye for now.